true. Fungi cannot survive if its host's internal temperature is over 94 degrees. And currently, there are no reasons for fungi to evolve to be able to withstand higher temperatures. But what if that were to change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? Well, now, there is reason to evolve. One gene mutates, and an Ascomycetia, Candida, Ergot, Cordyceps, Aspergillus, any one of them could become capable of burrowing into our brains and taking control, not of millions of us, but billions of us. Billions of puppets with poisoned minds, permanently fixed on one unifying goal, to spread the infection to every last human alive by any means necessary. And there are no treatments for this, no preventatives, no cures. They don't exist. It's not even possible to make them. So if that happens, we lose. <clears throat> we'll be back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Bros, Brandon, uh, you want to give us uh, the, new, uh, the, the new acronym? All right. It's still a work in progress, yes. Uh, banters regarding our screening there you have it people banters regarding our screenings working title we might work yeah. we'll continue to workshop that but uh thanks for tuning in if you're listening you're probably a friend or a family member welcome back thanks for tuning back in hope you enjoyed the first episode shout out uh uh baby olivia i know we missed you last time baby girl but you know we love you and uh thank you for listening thank you for supporting the pod <laughs> Tell my boy Angel and, and Rigo as well. Oh yeah, Riggs, Angel, Angel Garf, Scott Swish. He's a new baby too, Adeli. Shout out. What's her name? Adeli. Adeli. She's already a year, but thrilled. That's pretty. So today we're going to be talking about the first episode. Um, I learned something interesting this week that unless a series doesn't have like a full series order that's the only time that like the first episode is referred to as the pilot because depending on how the, how well the pilot is received uh will determine if it gets like a series order so calling like this episode the pilot is technically inaccurate because it already got series yeah because there has a series yeah, order. That's not surprising. so we'll call this episode one the premiere I, I still hear a lot of pros call it the pilot like podcasting pros call it the pilot but just something that I saw on Twitter. I was thinking about that last week too. I yeah. swear to God, I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah. I wonder if it's still referred to as a pilot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the episode came uh, highly anticipated. Uh, we'll give our overall impressions. I just want to run down some 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 facts about the episode. It was written by showrunners Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin, so they append this official episode or this first episode i'm not sure if they're going to be writing the entire series but uh usually with like the first episode and the last episodes you'll have like the showrunners come in and actually do it and then as the the middle episodes they'll have other writers contributing i'm not sure if there's other writers in the room I'm sure there is with a show of this uh a show this big but for the episode they wanted to make sure Druckmann and mazen took care of it and mazen directed um which uh, his direction I was really impressed by. You know, he directed a lot of Chernobyl, um, but it was cool to see that he got the directing credit here. It was the second biggest HBO premiere since 2010, only behind House of the Dragon, which also premiered earlier last year, 2022. It uh, so Last of Us premiere had 4.7 million viewers, 
compared to House of the Dragon, had nearly double that. 10 million people watched House of the Dragon. That, that, that's kind of crazy. I don't remember hearing that much about that. But um, Is that one a series order, too? Yeah. Okay. And then, like, a day later, they got the second season greenlit, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, so a lot of people tuned in. Almost every, you know, almost everyone I, well, you know, talked to was into this type of shit, watched it, or at least, like, knew about it or heard about it. Um, what about you? Did a lot of your friends tune in or were looking forward to it? Yeah, I haven't talked to them about it yet, though. I've mostly just been watching stuff on YouTube. I've been, like, revisiting a lot of, like, game footage. Not, not, not even necessarily to, like, compare, because that, that, that got old for me, like, right off the bat. I remember the night of, I was like, oh, shot, The side-by-side. Side. I mean, it's cool, but, yeah. like, and then, like, both sides of it were annoying. Like, people complaining, like, oh, why would they just do copy for copy? And like, it's like, there's only a few scenes that did, that. and the other people commending it, like, oh, it's just like, I don't know, like, if anything, overall, it made me kind of. I mean, obviously, you don't regret playing the game, but it's like, damn, like to watch this new. I wish I could just watch all this new. Yeah. Scenes, so yeah. you, so you, will it pull you out when you would spot like a certain shot that seemed to be like pulled right from the game? I thought that they balanced it pretty well. Honestly. I heard you and Tyler, Tyler, yeah. our brother-in-law. Shout out, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, when the ha- when you when they drive by the house, once once um they're leaving they're they're trying to leave town and the house is on fire. Hmm. Both of you guys were like, oh, right away. Yeah. Um, because I guess that's kind of an iconic shot in the video game. Yeah. Now uh, the, the there was enough differentiating like uh cues like visual cues and dialogue changes that made it feel different. Yeah, and I did, I really did like the choice. Uh, I know we'll get into it later, but I did like the choice of them uh, going back to two thousand three to like make it line up. Yeah, like to make it present. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Like the little Easter eggs. She had like a Destiny's Child poster. I thought that was fun. Yeah, there's other little yeah. um, timestamps that are sprinkled throughout the. <laughs> yeah, my least favorite was the George Bush picture in the classroom. It's funny though. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. But it's uh, yeah, it is funny. I'm like, oh, damn, all this shit happened on Bush's watch. Funny. Yeah, and then the Atkins diet yeah, that Atkins. made me laugh. I was like, dude, I haven't heard someone talk about that diet. For real. <laughs> um but yeah, I like that choice too. So overall impressions. The um yeah, the episode had, had a lot of what I talked about in the last time we spoke, which about what I wanted to see. Effective world building, you know, compelling narrative and and and, and conflict. There's some really thrilling action, there was some humor sprinkled throughout, of course some tragedy. You know, God, I love, I love a little bit of tragedy and all my shit. You know, I was ready. Like I said, I was ready to be wrecked and this shit wrecked me. Um, everyone knows what, what part we're talking about. Yeah. There was also some really disturbing horror. Like, uh, I knew uh, I wasn't expecting some of that, but there's like two specific sequences that are some, are some of the scariest shit I've seen in anything in a while. Um, so that was cool to see. A lot of the, the characters were interesting. They all the, there was good chemistry among the leads. Um, one-liners. I know I talked about wanting to see some cool, like, or you know, some really uh, sharp and witty one-liners, whether they're funny or just kind of deep and heavy and resonant. There's, there's a little bit of all that. You know, it also set up the season really well. You know, I think like what's to come ahead. Basically, all the things that a series premiere, you know, aims to accomplish. The production design and cinematography was pretty good overall. Though, though that's like my, that would be like my one like criticism. Like it wasn't. I wasn't like blown away by it. 
and there's some part kind of look like a movie set yeah like uh, i'll get into more later but like uh, the the qz felt like like the the wall paneling in one sequence in particular uh look uh, it just looked fake as shit you know yeah i feel like that like that was more um catered to like the side-by-side like video game remake kind of thing because like they showed some shot by shots like just pictures not even videos from the game and from the set and it looks like exact same thing so i feel like that was more um the qz you mean the quarantine zone yeah like 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 the set design choices were more um noticeable in in terms of like replicating the yeah like the, it's yeah. like kind of the same aesthetic yeah i would have liked a, a little more variation or just some a little bit more like originality or something or to see the yeah because it doesn't always translate directly yeah. from video games yeah, yeah. It did. It didn't like the QZ would be like my one thing that I was like, oh, this shit doesn't really look real. The indoor stuff looked. I thought it looked good though. All the indoor stuff, especially like those weren't kind of skipping towards the end, but the like the confrontation at the end when they, they first meet the alley. I thought that whole area looked pretty pretty sick. Oh yeah, yeah. That that looked like a real. It looked lived in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the score didn't play. I don't know if it's maybe my ear just wasn't tuned in, but the score didn't seem to play like a huge part. I mean, I liked what I heard. Uh, I liked the the opening theme, which I which I know is is pulled directly from the game, right? Yeah. And the opening credits were cool too. We should mention the opening credits. HBO is known for kind of really investing in kind of cool and innovative um opening credits between Game of Thrones, of course, House of the Dragon, True Detective did that. Westworld, uh, R.I.P. Westworld, yes. Of Westworld course. has the best one. Yeah, Westworld has a good one. Westworld was a good one. For real, R.I.P. Westworld. Um, Get your physical copies while you can. Yeah, for real. Um, yeah, so those were my overall impressions. Do you want to share anything else that I may have missed? You got I, I basically got kind of what I was hoping to get. With no, a little, yeah, like, and I, a little bit more. You know? I agree with you on the music thing. Like, I was thinking about that, but I didn't really uh, dwell on it as much. But now that you mention it, I was thinking like, because uh, they did mention originally this was supposed to be uh, two, two episodes. episodes. So the first one would probably have just been everything with Sarah and Joel in, 20, in 2003. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's probably why, like, there was a lot of dialogue and stuff. They didn't really have uh, any time for quiet moments. Yeah, they like had a Literal lot, quiet moments. Yeah, you know? they had a lot to yeah. pack in, like, yeah. as far as building the world, setting up the rules, a lot of exposition. Uh, delivering exposition so uh, that's what made me i was like oh yeah there's not a lot of room hopefully there'll be more room for that you know i'm sure there will be as they're like trekking through uh trekking through the world outside of the quarantine zones that there'll be some room for that but i just heard so much leading up to the show about the the score yeah and i was looking forward to that but yeah that'll be an interesting thing to monitor for sure and then like i mean you do have to especially the people have played the game you do have to realize like how many more hours you got to spend with that game so like the music like, is like a main character almost so like in a burned TV in show their, it's a lot different like burned know? in their brain probably yeah and and for this like the dialogue is it's necessary and um i don't think it's maybe it will reach the point where you know it's kind of just laying everything out for you and but i hope it doesn't like there are a lot of uh, uh, moments in the game where you gotta like read between the lines and like the dialogue isn't as um it's a word like like it's not exposition heavy like you don't have to be explained everything yeah yeah and it's kind of like 
what the characters say on their faces more so than what they're actually saying. Yeah, yeah, I think the show, this even the show did a lot of good, like, showing and not telling in certain regards, or when they did have to deliver exposition, we'll, we'll get more into this later, but they did yeah. in really interesting, clever ways, whether it's through, like, radio broadcasts, or shit happening in the background, like the like the like cop cars and fire trucks speeding through. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of interesting ways that they kind of flesh out the world more this more than just being so direct and telling you what what's what, you know. No, yeah, like if if I could bet, I would bet that, especially, um, as we encounter like the enemy types. <laughs> yeah. Um, there the music will become a, a bigger character. Because there, there are gonna be those quiet moments that are needed, um, in terms of just the world. Because, like I, I mentioned in the last episode, those certain enemy types, they're they're really sensitive to sound, so they're gonna have to be a lot of quiet. So that there'll be a lot of quiet scenes, like action-heavy quiet scenes, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. um, hopefully that's when the music will shine, because the music is is awesome, honestly. Yeah, and then like us in particular, I'm talking about me and you. We like scores. scores. Yeah. So like I am, I'm, uh, like Andor had a great score. Yeah. Shout out Nicholas Patel. Um, yeah, this, this score is amazing. Yeah, honestly, like if anything, you should um, just take some time to listen. Just listen to the game yeah. score. Yeah. Yeah. So. so we open up in this 1968 TV interview with two epidemiologists. Um, so e- epidemiologists are are technically doctors, though they're not usually referred to as doctors. What they do is they study patterns of frequency and the causes and effects of, of diseases in human. So they're not treating people or, uh, you know, developing cures or, or treatments or anything. They basically study disease and virus and stuff. Um, one of the epidemiologists is Dr. Newman. He's the, he's the, um, so this looks like there's, the other one has like a conflicting, they, they bring him on. It's not necessarily a debate, but one clearly believes stronger that one that a that a pandemic is a stronger threat um, than any that is the strongest threat towards like the collapse of humanity um, that there is and and Dr. Newman is on the other side of that he believes that the more concerning and formidable threat is not a pandemic but a fungus and everyone's like what What's like a fungus and the other doctor I forget, I forget his name I didn't write his name down but he challenges this been saying that. Uh, you know, most fungus can't grow um, past uh, within a within a host that uh, temperature is a, is ninety four degrees. It's more than ninety four degrees, and as you know, like human resting temperature is ninety eight degrees or or whatever. But Doctor Newman suggests, okay, but what if the Earth were to get a little bit warmer, just a few degrees warmer, then that would leave open up this opportunity for for some for a fungus to grow. And he kind of focuses in on the what what he what's known as the cordyceps fungi. We talked a little bit about this, and basically, the fungus will grow, consume the brain, and basically take it over. Rather than like kill it, it would sort of uh, take it over. Uh, I thought this was an interesting line. We talked about like having interesting descriptions or lines, but but he described that us the potential of billions of puppets with poisoned minds. I like that alliteration of puppets and poison. Is that that verbatim? Like yeah. That? Sorry. And uh, I thought that was a little bit haunting and, 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 uh, ineffective, but yeah. What did you think about the, the decision to open up in this, you know, 1968 where you like you being, you know, th- this is a show invention, by the way, this doesn't happen in the game. Right. So like, yeah, I'm sure no, it doesn't. 
I'm sure you were like, what the heck is this? How did I kind of like that choice. Yeah. I, I thought it was really cool. And it and it's interesting. I always like like time period things, especially like 60s, 70s. Like that's definitely my shit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because like when you think about it, like these kind, kinds of shows were a lot more common back in the day. This is like way before podcasting. This is like a madman, sophisticated version of the fucking Joe Rogan podcast yeah. or something. Because they're just talking about random things that people are interested in. Yeah. And there's an audience though, which I thought is was pretty cool yeah and um we mentioned it too it felt like a lot like like something out of Watchmen, yeah. like either the comic or the movie or the show whatever mm-hmm. your cup of tea is. um we all like them or we like all three of those but um yeah i thought it was i thought it was cool i think the the choice of actors or would help amplify it i feel like if it were any like lesser actors it kind of would have came off a little corny mm. but uh all three actors were were pretty good like they, they felt time appropriate like, yeah the way that their cadence and all that yeah i was gonna mention that like the way they spoke the way the host was like speaking back to the audience or would like look at the camera i thought that was kind of funny and kind of tongue-in-cheek um the overall aesthetic of it was 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 really was really cool like the color palette the style of it it's a very it looked very different and felt very different from the rest of the show yeah, one of the camera operators or something was smoking on a stove, I think. Yeah. Like I like seeing shit like that. <laughs> but but it looks so much different than the rest of the show. And yeah, it did remind me of Watchmen. It also reminded me of uh the French dispatch. I don't think you've seen that. I haven't yet. seen that yet. No. But the last it's it's like a it's split into three different stories and the last story is basically Leave Schreiber he's interviewing Jeffrey Wright, uh, like on a talk show like this, and Jeffrey Wright like tells the story. That's the last story. And it's cut between the interview and then you know, um jeffrey wright's actual story and it just reminded me of that because it's like the best part of that of that movie is that third story you've seen that like twice now haven't you yeah, i saw i saw it twice man yeah. i loved it so much better the second time but um yeah it's, I, like i love Mad Men, and um there's something like um just interesting in the way people carried themselves and spoke and and all that but um yeah, like the the TV interview method of of delivering exposition is 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 it's been done before, but I think it was uh, really effective and timely here because we're kind of living through a time where, thanks to the internet, everyone has has done their own research, you know, and considered themselves an expert. And the real experts are constantly being questioned and challenged. It reminded me a little bit of Fauci, where, like, you could I could just picture someone today watching this and saying, "All oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about," or I don't know. It just reminded me of that. Like I do, do my own research kind of thing. Like, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that Druckmann and, and, and Mason are pro science. Like they obviously uh, believe that uh, we should leave this shit up to the experts. So I thought yeah. that was, that, that's, uh, I always tried to like, when, whenever a show does something like this, Mason's is definitely pro science. Yeah. I mean, or, Chernobyl's, Chernobyl's or like, epitome of pro science. Or like the shortcomings of our, of, the people who we put in charge, you know, and how they either fall short or don't do enough or, you know, a, like incompetence is often the cause of like these huge tragedies and, and calamities. But um, yeah, the, the scene is, is really unnerving and haunting. I found it really unnerving and haunting for, for a couple of different reasons. Just the way that Newman is like so calm and casual and he's like has his legs crossed. Yeah. So matter of fact and nonchalant. And what he's talking about is like the potential end of everything, and it it just juxtaposed about against how he's carrying himself. I always find that kind of a cool choice, an interesting choice when what's being discussed is 
so opposite to the way in which it's being discussed or the way or or the environment that they're talking about something you know you know what i'm saying like yeah they're talking about something truly tragic and then there's people laughing like the host is kind of laughing and making light of it um yeah yeah because like even though they don't mention it it, it is like they are kind of um speaking on something that they think is unfathomable but the way in which he puts it it does kind of convey like sense of like oh it could happen but i mean most of those people in the audience are going to go home that day and just forget be, oh, about that was, it like that was interesting yeah you know they're not going to think much about it and i think setting it so far in the past is like was a, a choice like it could have put it in the 90s or yeah. 80s or something why do like, you think they did it i think i have my own like reason why i think they did it but yeah i was thinking well why so far far far, far back I, I guess to like kind of convey like the information and and the foresight was there, mm-hmm. but people chose not to, you know, take it seriously. And as we got exactly. further through the ages, it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like especially now, like no one's gonna. It's not like the internet is, is still around in this period, so no one's gonna be like, "Oh, look at they told us in 1968." Like it's already too late. You know? Yeah, that's exactly why yeah. I thought it's like to show this like inevitability, this ignorance that we typically apply when people are trying to say hey look you should take pay attention to this whether it's like with climate change remind me a lot of like climate change you know people yeah well like, yeah they they literally mentioned that yeah yeah like, well, that's the, the yeah. huge um but even if they didn't through, i think i would line right there even if they didn't mention it directly the way he does i think i would have made me think about it but because people have been talking about climate change for fucking decades and i've only recently not recently but you know in the past couple of years become really aware of it but uh if you, and they do kind of mention it kind of subtly. He yeah. Just, all he does, all he says is, "What if the Earth gets warmer?" Yeah. Yeah. But it's some that reminded me a lot of climate change, and it reminded me of like the early stages of the pandemic, things like that. But it's just something about, um, it's in, it's like part of human nature to to prior, to not prioritize like the big picture, or to apply any like inconvenient lifestyle changes for the sake of something that's so far down the road. I think that's why these guys are so calm talking about this shit because they know that. They're not going to be around here for it, so why the fuck should we be (laughs) scared or anything? And everyone in the audience is like, oh, okay. And that's how some people talk about climate change, and that's why they choose not to act. It's because whether they want to admit it or not, they don't care about what happens to after they're gone. You know, it's just it's it's human nature to be self-concerned. They live in the now. Yeah, exactly. Spectacular. Yeah, like uh, you only live one, or yeah, like yeah, you only live in the now. Is that full name? Spectacular now. Miles yeah. Teller? No, no, the dad. Oh. Guy from Friday Night Light. Your boy. Oh. Kyle Chandler. Oh, well, that's right. Yeah. I always think about that when I think about someone. I live in the now. Yeah, I live in the now. That was Kyle Chandler, man. Yeah. Love that dude. Um, but at the, the the way that this scene closes out is like probably one of my favorite lines of the episode because as Dr. Newman's explaining all this shit that can go down, the host is like, and if that happens, he says, we lose. And I thought, uh, that's effective and it's kind of a t- it ties back into the beginning of the interview because he's talking about w- wars and waging wars and he's like ultimately humanity wins whether you want to what he means by yeah. like as we survive you know yeah, we yeah. didn't destroy each other so it kind of ties back to what he was talking about at the beginning about w- wars and and uh, that we lose line um kind of fucked me up and then it's funny like at the the host it's says like cold war era to post uh 20 years post like world war Two. so yeah accurately and the the host kind of everyone kind of gets kind of quiet and unset like uncomfortable, and then the host says, "We'll be back." 
and I thought I went. I thought is that are they trying to say like will be? Is that like a like a reference to like zombies coming back? Like will be back? I don't know. It just <laughs> made me think of. I feel like every little line is intentional with these guys, with Druckmann and Mason. So I felt like oh that, that's kind of cool. So we cut forward to to 2003, Austin, Texas. Later on, we learn the date of of this exact day, which is significant. We'll, we'll, I'll talk about a little bit more about that later, but. We're dropped into this perspective of Sarah for, for the majority of, this, of the episode. And you mentioned last time that the first part of the game is played through Sarah's point of view. Hmm. So it's pretty cool that the show honors that and, and opens you and dro- or drops you into her perspective. Um, were you, what did you think about that choice? Were you, I loved it, yeah. dude. Because like in, in the game, it's, it starts in, the, in like late afternoon, like when he gets home from work. But in this one, it starts in the morning, so you get to, you get to spend the whole day with Sarah. So like, I love that they they um you know chose to develop her character a lot more. And I think Nico Parker, like, damn, she was great, dude. Yeah, I'm excited to see what what she she does. And I was looking at her, I was like, she looks like pretty old, but like, I, I don't want to look at her age. It's kind of creepy. But then I was I was like, I had to know, I had to know. And, and she's like 19, so she was probably like, what, like 17, maybe 18 when she recorded or did this? Yeah. She, she was just really tall, and, and she, um, I mean, I, it is believable because there are 15, 16-year-olds. Anyways, like, um, Sarah did feel more like more of a little girl at the point I'm trying to make in the game. But even with that, like, she did kind of feel like a daddy's girl, you know, like, like their their whole um chemistry their chemistry was there yeah for I, sure I loved it I thought um her and Pedro just were, they killed it yeah and, and getting able to spend the whole day with her as opposed to the game you get to spend like not even an hour max with her yeah I heard so, I a guess, lot of people talking about they really like yeah. expanded her role in the in the tier in the show than yeah. it is in the game yeah in the game it's pretty quick but like yeah yeah I think the 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 show's emotional thorough line hinges on on the strength of Nico Parker's performance and, yeah. and she, she got it done for sure. Like if you don't buy into her, then nothing else works. Like that yeah. moment later, that tragic moment later doesn't work. Um, it, it, even though she's like, you know, a one-off character, the the series basically, yeah, like I said, hinges on your, like your, whether or not you believe that, whether or not you believe in this girl or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's the biggest it's a, emotional beat of the game for sure because yeah. it's basically what kicks off. Like without that happening, like most of the story would be, it, it wouldn't connect or it, it would be as fleshed out or it wouldn't hit home as it does. And and it's surprising because it, it almost makes you go back and criticize the game a little bit for not leading into that more. But I guess you know, um, the same way that this medium is able to expand on things yeah. like they probably didn't want to spend too much time as you playing as a little girl at right. the beginning of a game yeah. so i guess they kind of they found that balance but it almost it almost made me feel like dang like it this this it this is already doing what the game did a lot better, better. yeah yeah so I, I i love that yeah um i didn't know that she's tandaway newton's daughter yeah i knew that i recognized her from the she was in dumbo with colin farrell i never saw that yeah. But I remember when the trailer came out for that, I was like, like that was one of the the things that people were talking about, like, oh, Thandie Wayne Newton's daughter stars in this. I never saw that. I heard it was hard. Yeah, she's a uh, yeah. She's only been in like a couple things. Like yeah, her IMDb I've never is, like, seen her. She's only like 
couple things. Yeah. But hopefully she gets a lot more work from this because she she was awesome. Yeah. She, I could see her appearing in like Euphoria or something. That'd be dope. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have her than Tom Holland. Did you hear about that? They're saying like, oh yeah, I want. He'd be on the set, and then he was like, "Well, they say he wanted to have a role." There's rumors that he actually was in the last season, like in, like in the audience, in the audience oh, really? during the play. Oh well, yeah, I'm sure he was. <laughs> like some 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 <laughs> people are like, "Is that him?" I don't know. It's never it's never been confirmed, but there's some people who believe. Like they sure zoomed in on like they zoomed in on screenshots. They're like, "That's him right there." Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, so we learned a couple things about Joel. He's getting ready for work. He's not, you know, flush with cash. He's always hustling. Uh, he does construction, and and I thought that that, that we know firsthand that's not easy work. You know, everyone <laughs> knows construction isn't easy work. It's it's usually you know an annoying shorthand for showing that a character that that a character has to do hard work. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it's like oh he so does construction. The aesthetics of it don't look good either. Mexican look guy yeah, living in Texas. Of course, that construct. <laughs> of course, he's a construction worker. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it it says that, you know, this character has work ethic. He isn't afraid to sweat and get his hands dirty. Like, he's a construction work worker, you know? Work ethic. Um, yeah, so, they're, yeah, like you said earlier, they have really great cram- chemistry. I like their, but beyond that, like, their dynamic is, is really interesting and kind of un- untraditional. We're watching that parent test, and I was thinking about that yeah. when I was watching this. Like, uh, uh, Sarah's a parenting Joel. You know, she feeds yeah. him. And she encourages him to celebrate his birthday. She has to, like do all these things she's taking care of him in a way and i was like what kind of parenting style is, is this joel is this like uh, you know opposite basically like opposite? No, yeah i'm glad that you mentioned yeah. that that's cool because that does kind of um emulate like the aging thing i was talking about they do age her up so you know if they were going to stick directly to the game like the she's looks a lot younger in the, in game. the game she's like a 12 13 or yeah. something yeah so she wouldn't be cooking for that so yeah. I like that dynamic now that you mentioned it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But uh, this sequence has to accomplish a lot. Like, it has a huge challenge of, of packing a lot of, like, shared history and relationship into, you know, essentially one extended sequence. And it it depends really on the chemistry between the actors. And I, like I said, like you said, I think it's really there. Um, You get so, you, you understand so much in so little time, you know, like just the way that they look at each other, engage with each other. I think uh, that's super challenging for both the actor and like the writers to like, okay, how do we like establish the dynamic and relationship in two minutes or in a couple of scenes? And, you know, a morning routine is always a pretty good way of doing that. You know, I like that they did that. Um, So we learn a little bit about Joel, like his, his who he is right so he's a bit goofy the way i would describe him is like goofy a little disorganized uncool you know he's like the the uncool dad I thought that was funny um and then sarah you know she's sharp she's competent she's informed you know when they when uh the radio report is heard over the radio uh jakarta neither him or tommy like know where that's at and she knows where it's at right uh beyond that she's like emotionally mature she understands like the importance of celebrating your birthday being grateful for another year of life you know all that's displayed you know in a really short amount of time um and then here comes like i mentioned tommy but here comes tommy and the writing in between and once tommy's in the scene it really achieves these two things really well it establishes the warmth and familiarity between tommy and, and joel and sarah so like you know their relationship his relationship with them but it also kind of distinguishes Tommy as separate. Like, there's no food for him. Like, there's no pancake for him. Oh, um, yeah. 
So it just shows that, yeah, Joel and Sarah have other people in their life like Tommy, but it's oh, it's it's them two. It's them two yeah. against the world, you know. Even with family, they keep him on the outside a little bit, you know. So I thought that was that was good. What'd you think about um uh what's his name? Gabriel Luna. Gabriel Luna. Yeah. Uh I I'm starting to like him a lot more now, like I guess it's we haven't really seen him in a lot but like reading interviews and watching him like talk about the game because he played the game he's like really passionate about it and he was like he really wanted to get the essence of tommy down so i'm excited to see where where they're headed with his character especially because some of like the the previews for the next couple episodes um boy no spoilers but go ahead yeah no no spoilers but they, they kind of like they expand on what happens in the first game that uh, which with a lot that connects to the second game and that's something we should also mention later is how they're already kind of planting those seeds for the second game mm-hmm. because i was afraid that they weren't going to commit to it because there are a lot of people who hate on the second game and I was yeah like, i heard that yeah listening to stuff this week there's some people that straight up fucking think that the second game like blew Ruins. up blew up the, the series or whatever yeah. no I, I like it i like the the bold choices yeah. that they make in there but yeah, like I like I mentioned earlier, there you, we hear on the background like a report of unrest in Jakarta, and that's another effective kind of. It's not groundbreaking way to to deliver exposition, but always pretty effective and and economical, you know, like in, in getting a bit of information out in a short, in a quick and easy way, uh, affordable. You know, you don't have to film any like TV sequence. You just hear some some rumblings and. You know, of unrest in Jakarta, it's like the first canary in the coal mine, right? And um, it worked. Like that little, that common trope of using, you know, radio and TV reports, it, it worked. Like, what do you think about that? Do you have, are you allergic to to that kind of way of delivering exposition? Or no, I think it goes back to that what we were talking about the choice of setting in two thousand three and like the small town kind of vibe mm-hmm. that they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that. Uh, people from Austin were, because, like, you know, we always talk about the Double Toasted podcast. They're from Austin. They were kind of nitpicking. They're like, this doesn't look like Austin. This looks like this other city, blah, blah, uh, blah. So they were saying, like, that that wasn't accurate. But, yeah, setting in 2003, you know, you couldn't just get an alert on your phone. Yeah. You couldn't just read a tweet, you know. Um, and everyone in this community seems kind of tight knit. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're going about their business. They're not as glued to a screen like they would have been in 2013, yeah. which was when the original game took place. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I kind of like, like, the backgrounds of, like, um, like, the cop car, like, driving past, um, Sarah when she's in the... The watch shop. The watch shop. And, like, yeah, just, like, the little, uh, signs of, of the bigger issue that's gonna unravel. I like that a lot. I think that, that made, that's one of the things that made the choice of, of putting it in in 2003. Because I usually don't like when, when games or movies do that, because it's like, oh, well, we want to make it home, you know, because... Now it's gonna be in 2023. Yeah, but I like like that kind of um justified the choice. Yeah, because it, it it made um it made them like not seeing it coming all the more like palpable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, it served the storytelling. It was yeah. a yeah. good way of. I heard some. I saw someone tweet like something cool that made me just think of this right now. But like how effective the answering machine used to be, like in movies back in the day, like yeah. an. Uh, how effective it would be in like like delivering a lot of information at once. Like someone could be coming home, and, you know, t- putting their keys away and and getting settled in, and they click play on a, on a answering machine, and 
it could be from someone and you learn so you, you, that was just a really effective way of like oh, yeah, laying out a lot of detail about yeah. either uh, the yeah, character or the that. world and, and a lot we of movies haven't seen you in a while yeah like, i hope you're doing okay yeah like yeah. missed you tonight at the meet i don't know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like it was always a really I mean, now they can't do that anymore you know it's yeah like, yeah sorry but um so yeah so next we see sarah she's like clandestinely sneaking around joel's room she's takes out uh, a watch out of a drawer and then she pulls out the knife and like really focuses on the knife um we don't see the knife again i don't think but it seems yeah. like it, they, they just focused on that for, for an interesting amount of time then i'm sure it'll pop up again like check off gun you know um i don't know if that plays into the game i know it could be just like you know a nod to the game you know in certain games you walk around you pick up stuff you open drawers is then is there a knife in the game and that yeah, sequence? but the the knife is more catered to Ali. Yeah, I know. Ali's I know. Knife. Ali's knife is like a big thing. We, yeah. we learned that later, but yeah, I just thought. I don't know. I wonder I don't what's up with this Joel knife. Using a knife. Yeah, I wonder no. what's up with this knife. Yeah. And she takes out some cash, and then you know they take off. Then we meet the Atlers, the neighbors, the weird neighbors. That that actor. I don't know if you recognize him. But he's he's always playing like a goof. That uh, uh Mr. Adler, the the guy, the son. Is he? I think, is he Friday Night Lights? No, I think. Oh yeah, I think he was, but right. I think he was in American Hustle too. He was one of like okay. he was like the, one of the big wigs in American Hustle. That guy's funny, and we see him feeding Nana Adler. So she's like, I'm guessing his mom or his mother in law. They all like old as shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's feeding her biscuits. Sister, I don't know. what? Oh, sister, no. Might be a sister. I don't know. Um, and biscuits. And he's feeding her biscuits, and and she's like, I don't know. I felt like I don't know. There's some people who are like really allergic to like elderly people being like played for laughs or not only played for laughs but also like being depicted as like scary or disgusting and I think that what's happening here you know it's, it's definitely becoming a trope yeah, it's dude. Certain the creepy trope. old lady trope has been going yeah. for like the last 7 years and yeah like M Night Shyamalan resurrected his career doing that in The Visit <laughs> you know he wrote a whole and fucking movie you, on it and then you add dookie into that and it becomes even more scary yeah <laughs> but uh yeah this neighbor has a lot of nerve like pestering sarah to come over like visit it's like damn like damn like that's southern hospitality bro i was like dead and yeah uh, i'm glad we don't really have our neighbors don't even look our way but i just thought that was that was funny see but i know that they're in the game right the atlers are in the game yeah and again it could, could be something more to the 2003 era. yeah people were probably more neighborly back yeah. then um yeah they invite so he offers them biscuits in the morning, and that's when we see the Atkins joke. You know, uh, Pedro's trying to watch his watch his figure, I guess. Uh, so that's like the first one of the first early timestamps of the early two thousands. Um, Someone on YouTube was saying that was the reason why he he wouldn't get sick because they were saying that. Because like, I'm I'm not sure he, he said he didn't eat the pancakes, right? Or I don't no, know. He ate the pancakes. Tommy didn't get any pancakes. Oh, I forgot, but they were saying, like, the fact that he was on Atkins, that might have, like, ha- helped him avoid getting sick, because, like, it would have been in certain types of food or something, the fungus. Oh, yeah, so, well, yeah, I, I mentioned, yeah. I, I think they mentioned something about it being maybe spread through that way. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny, yeah. like, bad diet saved his life. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, and then, to, you know, Tommy's, Tommy's like established kind of as like a bad boy, right? He's like a ne'er do well. He's smoking, uh, he's cussing. He's not a fan of the Atlers, so they come in. He's like, uh, "Well, you can't tell you how riveting he was listening to that fucking conversation." And he says something like that. Uh, so he's kind of established as like a bad boy. Um, I think that's cool. Like he's obviously like 
he's uh, another Joel seems to be like financially floating him. Um, earlier in the kitchen, he's talking to 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 Joel and Sarah says, you know, he loves you, and Joel says, no, he needs me. So it's kind of established that Tommy is like kind of like a, I don't want to say a slacker, but he's kind of un unwieldy and kind of unpredictable. We learn we learn that about him, and then we see that, that there's a desert there's a combat veterans like bumper sticker which is actually Tommy's. There's some confusion about this, but yeah, I heard that. Tommy's. There's some people yeah, are like some... not sure if it's Joel's, but it's Tommy's truck. Yeah, so, it's Tommy. So we're not. It does, that doesn't mean that Joel wasn't doesn't have a military background, but um, pretty sure Tommy certainly does. I mean, considering how old Sarah is and how close they are, I doubt he was. In... Yeah. yeah, and then as they drive off, we get like the official date, September 26th, and I learned that this is like what's considered and recognized as outbreak day. Like fans actually celebrate this in real life. Yeah. That, like there's fan celebrations. Usually naughty dog will release some sort of, um, yeah, like fan pack or something interesting on this day. And yeah, like it's, it's just funny that outbreak day is like celebrated by the yeah. fans. Yeah. It's been celebrated like ever since the game. Yeah. Came out. It's cool. So now we see Sarah in school. She's kind of like her mind's elsewhere. I don't know if she, we don't really know what she's thinking. And maybe she's thinking about her dad or thinking about that radio report but she just seems a little bit distracted that's when we see the picture of bush that was like an era of you know it's a few years after 9-11 people are still you know afraid there's like the era of fear is what i always like remember the bush era as so um yeah i just think that that i was trying to spot like why did they have this scene with her in the classroom but i couldn't really uh, i saw a good one when they were showing the classmates hand twitching oh okay i missed um, that is in there's a bunch of um i think they even showed in this episode of like like warning signs of like early uh infection and it's like like body shakes twitching because hmm. you remember like the 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 light off the or the reflection up from the sun off the dude's bracelet or classmate's bracelet was like hitting her in the face yeah and then it it, it shows him like twitching oh, okay. so i guess that he's probably gonna get sick or he's getting sick at the time oh, i'm okay. getting yeah, I read. I heard. I think it was um, heavy spoilers on you. Yeah. yeah. So she gets out of school. We're following her along. You know, we see her getting on the bus. The show takes a lot of time to like put you with her right next to her. Like, you know, they want to make sure that you're focused on her and trying to. You see all this happening from her perspective, and she goes. She gets to the watch shop. Um. Yeah, she 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 gets the watch fixed. That's where we see more cop cars and fire trucks. They're hauling ass through Main Street, which is scary like it's main street's a busy street you see that happen uh it, it's kind of scary the watch shop closes down pretty early uh this is when you really know you know that uh this is an, also an effective way of like communicating shit is wrong people are closing early things like that remind me of like you know the pandemic when, when shit was closing down early yeah and the shopkeepers are like speaking in their language yeah and, like assuming like they probably got a phone call from one of their loved ones from the country or they're originate from so they probably know have a little more information than we do and then the woman warns or kind of warns sarah she just says go home yeah yeah she says go home like it's not like she takes like takes her in or tells her to take care of herself it's kind of like everyone for them you already start to see a little glimpse of how people are going to respond to this thing which is like everyone for themselves like she's like go home get the fuck out of here um and then she de- she delivers on her promise to visit Ms. Adler. Next thing, I th- next scene, I think we see her, you know, showing up to the Adler res- residence, and and Connie, I think, is the 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 lady's name, not Nana, but Connie. She's you know happy to see her. 
um sarah's like yo you know what what do you think that's what's going on like aren't you afraid and connie's like what are you talking about like like the ignorance of of some people when shit is really going down there's some they're just you can always count on certain people to be ignorant to it and oh this 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 triggered me so bad because she like generalizes what's happening and just attributes it to like oh this is how things always are like you know there's some people like that like are like i'm not gonna name names but there's some people in our lives who will say oh that's how it that's how it you know the world needs jesus she basically says and like oh yeah she does say yeah, something about that huh? she said yeah. it's a lot of it's a position that like a lot of a lot of radical religious people take is they never think anything's wrong because everything is wrong and it's always going to be wrong until everyone recognizes their God unanimously as the one true God, you know? Um, so she's like, yeah, oh yeah, well, people need Jesus. What do you expect? She says something like three nails plus one cross equals four given. Like, I don't have to worry about nothing. I'm protected by Jesus. We saw this during the pandemic. And these people just don't give a fuck because they're, they feel like they're either protected or if they're not, it's their time. It's meant to be. They're going to go to heaven. So like they choose to just disregard it all, and it it was just triggering for me. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like to generalize it. It's just radical thinking, radical belief. You know, it's not even necessary. Like obviously, with this, it's specific to religion, but there's plenty of radical people who aren't necessarily religious out there. It's yeah, become a lot more um, common with the internet and all. People just, you know, uh, always. I watched that documentary recently. Um. It's on HBO Max. It's called um. This is oh, I forgot what it was, but it's the dude. Yeah, that, yeah. The dude that Tyler watches. Yeah. And um, yeah, I forgot what I was gonna say, but yeah, like he would. They were talking about like how conspiracy theories used to be fun. You know, yeah. someone they interviewed someone and they're like, conspiracy theories used to be fun. You know, we used to talk about aliens and stuff. Now it's like this isn't fun. People <laughs> really think like this stuff is happening. Yeah. Like, it, it's not fun anymore. People become obsessed. Yeah, and, fanat- fanaticism. Yeah, fanaticism, for sure. But yeah, just that whole interaction with that Mrs. Adler just fucking struck me the wrong way because it reminds me of certain people. And then to, to, to make things worse, she's making ra- fucking raisin cookies. Uh, and, and Sarah wants no part of these fucking cookies. She's like, chocolate chip, and she's like, raisin. And it's not oatmeal face. raisin, it's just raisin. Like, what the fuck is a raisin cookie? Have you ever had a raisin yeah. cookie? Dude, the disappointment on her face she was so funny <laughs> she's, she's like i'm uh, out of here yeah again to commend nico parker because we didn't mention it earlier but when when joel was like yeah i'm 36 like if, like they don't they don't linger on her but like the face she like looks oh, at yeah. him towards us she's like well you're not 36 <laughs> there's some people are like is he joking uh, <laughs> the way he says it like all matter of fact like i'm 36 like yeah it's just like your third 36 birthday yeah but, i swear i thought it was a joke but I guess uh, he he looks good, but not thirty six. Like I'm thirty four, four. So I don't know. But people age. Yeah. So I, 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 I didn't mind it. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Um. So then Sarah. Next thing we see is Sarah snooping through the Adler DVD collection. This is something I do whenever I go to someone's house. Like if they have a DVD shelf, if they have a bookshelf, a record shelf. I can't help but like see what it is. It tells you a lot about about that person. Is that something you do? Like if you're ever at someone's house visiting, do you snoop around their their DVD book collection? I mean, honestly, most of the time people have books out and like, at least with the people I know, it's like, I know they probably haven't read yeah. those, so I don't even bother. But yeah, if it's like certain video games or movies, I'm like, oh, you have that? That's yeah. yeah. Um, Especially vinyl, vinyl for sure. And while she's looking at the, sh- at the, the collection, one of the most, dis- probably the most disturbing scene of the show going on 
You see Nana Nana Adler in the blurred background. She seems to be turning, right? Like her head's yeah. going back. She's like tripping out. The fact that it's blurred and the fact that it that that Sarah is like completely oblivious to it makes it so disturbing. Like I know that everyone we were, we watched it with our family, with our with our parents and our and our sister and brother in law, and you could hear like them audibly like groaning and like oh mom was like oh shit you know it's funny i think that was one of the most effective little little uh, touches but uh she was pretty out of focus though but th- that uh, makes it even but, more but scary i think it made it look cooler yeah though. for sure yeah, i mean yeah. i think that's part of the, like the horror of it is the fact that we really can't see what's happening but i don't know the music cues were there too like sure. uh, like kind of and nico park does another good job of just like really like oblivious acting there <laughs> yeah uh, so she she sweet girl actually. yeah she spots her she she finds something in the sh- uh in the collection Curtis and the Viper too this is from the game right like it's the second the game, game. Okay. and she asks Miss Adler to borrow it she's like oh yeah go ahead um we see her leaving the house and there's like these military jets like flying really low over her head it's really loud um and you can see that Sarah's taking it back this is like we mentioned earlier this is before Twitter and social media like. Now, if I hear too many, if I hear like more than two or three sirens going off, I check my phone, you know, like, yeah. is this it? Is, is the, as the, the doomsdayers say, is, is it SHTF? Is this shit hits the fan? I feel, like, I feel like with that one, though, that one was, was like, they kind of took liberty with that one. Yeah. Especially after 9-11, people saw that, they'd be like, what the going The Jets? On? Yeah. Yeah. But it still looked cool. The shot was cool. So yeah. Um, cut to Joel coming home really late. It's nighttime now. It's 10 p.m. He promised to be home by 9. So, you know, Sarah's a little bit disappointed. Joel mentions, like, the door being locked. He's like, oh, it's nice to see you're finally locking the door. Again, like, this is a really nice, subtle way of showing and not telling that Sarah's afraid, you know? Like, hmm. through ways like that. Like, effective writing and, and storytelling. Um, when another character recognizes the action of another character as being unusual, and that tells you about this, one of the characters being you know off put or something i think the show does the current circumstance yeah, i think the show does that really well a couple times throughout he, he forgets the cake doesn't bring the cake home he's like come on man i like that she says come on man <laughs> sometimes i call mom man or dad or you know i call mom man and she hates that like she just hates like the fam- she's like i'm your mom i don't know it just it just shows you more about like their familiar dynamic and yeah. their casual yeah. dynamic so now it's gift time she gives him the watch um, he asked her, well, you know, where I fixed the watch. She's like, where'd you get the money? And she says, drugs. I sell hardcore drugs. That's better what I do, Joel, Joel says back. And I thought that was like a ref- moment of humor, but it's also pretty dark considering that it foreshadows Joel's future. You know, like he ends up selling oh, yeah. hardcore drugs. And, uh, yeah, that's from the game too. She has that line in the yeah. game. Yeah. So does he sell drugs in the game too? I thought that was a show invention. Yeah, people, I've heard people say it's a show invention. So that's interesting yeah. that yeah. they connected that. but. Um, you see that happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see that happening a couple times of like things connecting from that first sequence to the second sequence, and I thought this was both funny and dark, like a little bit of dark humor. Um, he gives him the the vibe, uh, the 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 DVD. He's so excited because this is the one that has the deleted scenes, bro. It's the rare one with deleted scenes. Are you a fan Del- of deleted scenes? Whenever you get, do you watch deleted scenes? Just back in the day, like. During that era, deleted scenes were, were, were the, shit. Were the dude. lick, right? Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. It was like expanding. It was like uh, epilogue type. Yeah. Film, even though they're from scenes like within the movie, there's always like, like 
this was like the time where director's cuts were like very common or like unrated. Remember those unrated mm. ones? There were a bunch of those. Those were tight because like there were a bunch of PG like horror, PG thirteen horror movies that had like under unrated um, releases on DVD. So that yeah, that I, I, I don't really dive into deleted scenes like I used to. I don't know why. Not 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 anymore. I should. I did the last time I did was for Licorice Pizza. They had some pretty good ones. Um, but. Uh, I, I heard uh, the Batman had a good deleted scene with the Joker. We get to see that full scene, right? The one that they released online after oh, the yeah. movie. Yeah, um, yeah. There's sort of like rare. Yeah, there's rare content. ones where where it, they once upon a time in Hollywood have. Yeah, some? they did. I don't I, I forgot what they were. I don't think I saw them. Yeah, but yeah, back in the day, deleted scenes were the shit. And Joel was a fan. You're glad to see Joel was a fan. Of deleted scenes. <laughs> Uh, she she says, okay, well, hopefully I don't fall asleep. I guess this this is a real, I guess, Curse in the Viper 2 is, is, is uh, snoozer. It's a snoozer, I guess. Shit. Um, but Joel's into it. Watching the, watch, he's watching this shit on ultra low volume. I could, couldn't be me, bro. I was like, how can he hear anything? Fucking crank that shit up. <laughs> uh, he gets a phone call from Tommy. Tommy's in jail. Not his fault this time. You know, like another way of showing that Tommy's a troublemaker. You know, it's not yeah. his fault this time. He needs to get bailed out. Yeah, that's not from the game either. Yeah. yeah. He needs to get bailed out. He's in the jail. If he, it's Friday night. If he stays there, it's gonna be he's gonna be stuck in there all weekend and it's and it's a madhouse. He describes it as a madhouse and he explains himself quickly. He was stepping in to protect a waitress from some crazy patron. He kind of basically had no choice. Uh, so yeah, another which you can yeah, we can kinda of conclude that, that patron is probably getting sick. Yeah. Yeah. Another effective way of showing what's happening, you know, like yeah, through yeah. just a quick little one line over the phone. Uh, yeah, like a, a, economic, I call it economical storytelling, both in like it's, it's quick, it's, it's clear, but it also doesn't cost the show a ton of money. You know, like they save a lot yeah. of money by just talking about it over the phone. So he sneaks off, puts Sarah's to bed, and he doesn't even tell her she's leaving. I guess he didn't want to wake her up. I thought that was, that was, um, not great parenting, I don't know, <laughs> to just leave in the middle of the night. Yeah. But uh, she's awakened by helicopters. Shit is going down now, like, for real, for real. This three is like three hours later, right? She went to yeah. bed like 11, uh, yeah, it's 11. it was like 2. Yeah. Yeah. Shit is really going down. She turns on the TV. It's the emergency broadcast, you know, the rainbow lines. This is when you really know it's going down. Uh, Mercy, the Adler dog, she comes, she's barking on the door. And Sarah goes outside. Now, were you shouting at the TV like, "Don't go outside"? Was this stupid for Sarah, or would, or what, like, was it not? Because there's some people who were saying she is so she makes such stupid decisions in in that sequence. And of course, sometimes you know we see that in scary movies, it it has to happen to move the story forward. But uh, I mean, I probably I don't know. Would you go outside when shit like that happening? I mean, it could be a testament to her, her I guess, her bravery or her concern. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always it's always easy to say what you would do in a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, you got kind of just kind of take it for face value. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's executed well, like it's still possible. Like, there's plenty of, of great horror movies where the, the the characters are idiots. Yeah, you know. But since, if it's executed well, then no one no one pays it as much mind. It's only when it's done poorly that people are get annoyed by it. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not that harsh on it. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of just depends case by case, but. I mean, like I said, it could be a testament to her being concerned. I mean, they did kind of plant the seeds of, like, their relationship. Exactly. She was there earlier, exactly. you know, so she's obviously concerned. Mm-hmm. She's pretty smart. She's not, like, as little as she was in the game. You know, she can... Bravery is not, like, misguided. It's not like she's, like, a little nine-year-old doing this. You know, she's, like, a 
probably 17, 16. So, I mean, I'd want a teenager come look after me if I was elderly. Yeah. So. No, yeah, you made a great point in that they established that there is some sort of relationship and, and, and care that she has for the Adler. So, I like that. Um, yeah, it didn't bother me. It made sense. So she goes in. The first thing we see is... And then people always are suckers for dogs, too. So put the dog in there yeah. and the dog's scared. Damn, I hope that dog made it, man. <laughs> she she unleashes him or, or she like does... Dude, book Yeah, and he was gone. <laughs> he's like... I'm, he's not going to go back in the like, house. This, I'm out. You, you didn't see what I just saw, but then we see him. We don't, I don't blame that fucking dog because we walk in the yes. house and the first thing we see is Danny all bloodied, all bloodied up before Danny. Then help me. <laughs> That's never a good sign you walk into someone's house. In his chon-chon. Yeah, just in his chon-chons and... White t-shirt tight on. Yeah. Fucking A. And then we see Nana. She's just chowing down on, on Connie. Just going in. Able-bodied again. Yeah, all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Um, I got my legs back. <laughs> my appetite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then we see that. And this is like the, the another really scary effect of imagery. Of the tentrils and the strands of fungus coming out of her, her mouth. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, I think that's new. Yeah, that... I mean, it might have been in the second game because it's high resolution, yeah. but it definitely wasn't in the first. Yeah, seeing that, you know, made my insides fucking like feel weird. And at first, I thought it was hair. Yeah, it looks like hair, but no, nah, bro. Yeah. It's, it's... I was like, damn, she's eating hair. No, dude, I yeah. knew I knew right away what it was, and it, right away my stomach was like felt like it was coming up out of outside of my throat. I don't know. Yeah, and I saw it again the second time. It did the same thing. It's like immediate. Like for me, there's some people that has no effect, but. For some reason, like that shit, fucked me up. Um, she kind of looked like Jigsaw's sister, or like Jigsaw. Like I was like, is it Jigsaw? Name Toby something or something Toby. But uh, yeah, like Toby, you said, Tobin, yeah. Tobin Bow. Yeah, like that. But like you said, she's able-bodied. Nana can walk again. Not only can she walk, she can fucking run. She can jump. Uh, yeah, and it's a. I, I had this thought. It's a shame that Connie isn't around to witness the miracle, which she would probably attribute to Jesus Christ. You know, like Hallelujah, <laughs> Nana can walk again, and she's hungry. And she's hungry. She can walk. <laughs> hallelujah. We gotta feed her ass anymore. Yeah. Uh, Tommy's aiming the gun at her as not, as as Sarah's while running out of the house. She's like, "What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do?" I like that part. You know, that was good acting by uh, by Gabriel. And Joel kills her with with looks like a wrench. Just one one hit her, quit her, fucking knocked her out. And uh, we see Sarah, she's really appalled, traumatized by this. I don't think she's ever seen her dad do something like this, you know? So, And the, it's somebody that she was close to. Yeah, so you gotta, the camera really rests on her reaction, and Nico, again, really conveys a lot with a little, in a little bit of time, you know? She's like, can't believe that this is what her dad just had to do. And then uh, they're off, they're out of there. Tommy's, you know, they jump in the truck. We, the camera. This is where we first see the camera. It gets positioned into the back seat. It felt video gamey, but but it was still effective. And and like the scene earlier with Nana in the background, seeing Danny. You see Danny run out of the house. I think he's turned now, and he's all bloodied. And and it's it's in a wide shot. Like they don't zoom in, but for some reason the fact that it's in a wide shot, and you just see like the people in the wide shot, not zoomed in. It, for some reason, it's more disturbing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they attacked the neighbor that they yeah. were talking, or that was talking to Joel, or asked Joel. Yeah. Gone. But the fact that, like I said, just the fact that it's that in a wide shot, you don't see a close-up just enough. And Tom, and it's like lit from like, like the, the, the transformers or like flares. In yeah, the there's air, flares. Like transformer the, electricity. Yeah, the flares. There's headlight. Really, really good sequence. Tommy runs, runs him over. Um, 
the neighbor says something like, what the fuck, Joel? I don't know. But it's pretty funny. They're like, fuck you. Uh, then we get a little bit of exposition. Tommy's describing what's happening. Like Sarah's tripping out. He's like, he describes it as like a parasite. Uh, I don't think he's fully informed, but at this time, you know, people aren't getting all the information. They're just trying to quickly understand. She's scared that they're sick. Like she's like, how do we know we're not sick? And they're like, trust me, we're not sick. But, um, I just thought it was interesting that she thought, or, you know, right away, that's what I probably would do. I'm like, is this shit going to happen to me? Like, how is it transmitted? And that's one thing she's, um. And then she was asking about um, something about being in town. Cause she was in town. Oh earlier. yeah, like they're like she probably uh, contracted it in town. Cause that's why she was so. Well, because Tommy yeah. says they're saying it's mostly people in the city, and yeah. she's like, "Well, maybe they send her into the city a lot for like medical appointments and stuff. So maybe that's where she got it." Yeah, and that's why Sarah's scared too because she probably thinks like, "Oh, I was in." Mm-hmm. And then that's when we drive by the burning house, and like I mentioned earlier, that's when you and Tyler were like, "Oh shit, that's like directly from from the game." And, yeah, it was, a, it was a really haunting image, and I saw the game footage. I saw a couple side-by-sides, and they really they really did that basically shot for shot. Uh, Were you looking at the PS5 one? or the? No, it was, I think PS- it was the old one. I don't know. Yeah, look at the PS5. Yeah. But yeah, I wonder what happened in that house. Like, what the fuck? The whole shit went up in flames, you know? I don't know. Crazy. So, um... Then they're, they're, as they're driving down the road, there's like a family that's asking for help, right? And Joel just says, go past them. Like, Tommy, both Tommy and Sarah are like, what? Like, shouldn't we stop and help? And I think this is the first glimpse of who Joel becomes later. You know, we see him later. He's much more um, kind of disconnected. And this is like, you get to survive. Yeah, he's like much more survivor, self, self-concerned. And he's, this is like the first glimpse of that. And and again, just like earlier with um, him killing Nana with the ranch or with the wrench, uh, Sarah's disturbed by this. Like you see, look at her. They, the camera rests on her face. She's like, she's like, can't believe that Joel is, you know, ignoring this family. And this is like the second time in the past five minutes that she's seen a side of her dad that she's never seen before. You know, like she's never seen it, and, and it really devastates her. And there's something about watching your parents do th- certain things or you know do things that you. Do, or don't agree with or have we we experience this where they come from a different era they have certain beliefs that we just are like up, like don't agree with or are sort of um disturbed by and it and it's really disappointing um especially when you're young you know what i'm saying like i remember when i was young and i would see the flaws of mom or dad because up until you know when you're growing up your parents are perfect right or like you think they're perfect or they know what they're doing and then you see them do something that's really awful or say something that's really awful and it kind of like puts everything into question like this is who i'm kind of modeling my behavior after and they're doing this ugly thing or saying this ugly thing but it kind of just reminded me of growing up and it's not like mom and dad do this all the time but there's certain times you know where they're not perfect they have shortcomings they have flaws but this not to this degree of course but just reminded me of that feeling you know yeah um there's too much traffic, so they, you know, they they veer off the road. They're like, th- th- this was kind of confusing to me, but the, um, Tommy's like the army, and Sarah's like, isn't that a good thing? And he's like, no, it's not. But I don't know what was going on with the army where they're like, maybe they're. I think they were trying to contain. Oh, I get it now. I think it just dawned on me. They were trying to contain everyone. They weren't letting anyone leave, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because at first I was like, well, what is the army actually doing? But I guess they were just trying to cut people off and prevent them from leaving to like contain. Outbreak, yeah. um, and then uh, 
Joel and Tommy are like, what do we, Tommy's like, puts it on to Joel again. Joel is, so we, we establish that Joel is sort of the leader. He calls the shots. Tommy's looking at him like, which way do we go? Tommy quickly, I mean, uh, Joel quickly, you know, hatches out a plan. Um, says, you know, we'll go this way. We head south, basically. He says, he mentions Mexico. And, and Tommy's like, all right, yeah, yeah, let's go. Next thing we see is like these air. It's the only mention of like, Something Mexican. <laughs> I was, I was, I was telling you last. Or I think I mentioned it last week. I was like, I hope they at least say something in Spanish or something, yeah. something, something Mexican. Instead of pancakes, they should have been having a chilaquiles yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy comes in. Hey, chorizo. Chilaquiles, way. <laughs> <laughs> chorizo. Uh, a chorizo huevo man, ranchero. Bro. Uh, yeah. Feliz cumpleaños, hermano. <laughs> Feliz cumpleaños. Um, yeah, so we see the air, airplanes flying really low. They're super loud. That shit was pretty scary. And, like, you can only imagine. Again, there's, there's two There's, airplanes? like, two or three that go really? boom, like, one after another. At night. The night yeah, scene. the night. Okay. As soon as they, like, get back on the road after they go through the field. Yeah, I only watched it yeah. once. Everyone listening. Bobby, we watched Yeah, I've seen it, it twice. Twice. Um, and, yeah, like, uh, so that that's another that was a really cool like special effect like you got it like i said there's big action set thrilling action set pieces here that was one of the cool effects then we get a couple of like cool one shots all from the back seat uh you see the chaos in town uh this felt video game and i heard you know it's kind of pulled directly from the game this sequence the mm-hmm. video um, but even tommy and joel's voice acting was really effective uh it toted a fine line of like being video gamey but not like phony you know what i'm saying like they're like go this way go that way or watch out watch out you know what i'm saying like i thought all that was really well done um and then we get the money shot of the episode the airplane crashing down like holy shit that was so like uh, well done and yeah what's cool too is is like um when the car nearly misses them like right before that yeah, part yeah uh, that's what happens in yeah, the they game, get t-boned or something yeah. right yeah yeah and then that's how they then the car ends up flipped is the car hits them so like when people are watching that probably oh here it comes and then it didn't and then it's like nah look at got the hbo <laughs> and then the airplane hit that shit yeah and the, the yeah. fire looked real like uh they probably used yeah. like a real explosion it's just a really really good way of a uh, really good visual effect there i thought the visual effects overall were really good uh, com- yeah it definitely looked like a real explosion because yeah. the lighting on everyone looked like it did not look fake yeah. at all and then there's like a piece of debris that that, that breaks off either the jet or something that it's crashed into and that's what causes them to um to crash basically and everything cuts to black and then we wake up and uh sarah's ankles broken part of the game too this part with sarah's ankles being pretty broken. sure yeah and uh they're forced to split up like an ambulance crashes into their truck and Tommy says you know i'll meet you at the river the uh you know joel has to carry sarah throughout the, throughout the town we see the infected are feasting this is our real our the the First exposure to the infected. Basically, just look like zombies. One guy looks up and spots him. I thought the way like he popped up was funny. He's like, yeah, looks <laughs> like a wh- whack-a-mole. And you get to see how these how, we got to, we got a little glimpse of how they move and how they you know run throughout the world or move through the world and really like out of control like though they're fast they're fast zombies right yeah but they're out of control at least in their first couple of I'm not sure what like i said i didn't play the game but i'm not sure if clickers or bloaters or whatever they're called 
thought that was really good visual effects the way that the when they when they reach the diner and he like flies in off the booth into the wall. Yeah. Yeah, that was tight. Stunt man right there got down. Then uh yeah, so this so this infected continues to chase them and then someone out of nowhere shoots him and, and rescues seemingly. Then uh rescued by you would want to be rescued by it's the law, you know, it's a soldier. The new threat is even worse. But that's like really like a compelling uh, story a way of showing like who the real threat is. And that's kind of like the ethos of the whole show. It's like the infected aren't the real threat. It's like who man, who we become amidst all this chaos, the real threat. Like, kind of the walking dead explored that, you know, where it's not really the zombies that are like the biggest and scariest thing or the most thing, the, the scariest thing around basically man himself when placed under these dire circumstances, the monster that man becomes, you get to see, you see the first glimpse of that in like the soldier killing the, the and um, it's played by Craig Mazin too. Did you hear about that? Uh uh-uh. uh, yeah, the voice actor, or either the voice actor or him in the suit, one or the other. Wow, yeah, because I was I thought that voice actor was got down because yeah. the way he said he says yes sir three times, but each time it tells you everything you need to know about what's being said on the other side of that walkie right yeah it was when probably like, it was probably the voice yeah. I, I didn't read the rest of the article but they said that it was played by him yeah joel's pleading for help the officers you know seemingly receives an order to kill them yeah i wanted it like a, whoever whoever's the voice if it is amazing that's pretty whoever the back the voice actor was got down i thought in that um yeah he seems to joel you know joel's pleading for help he's like we're not sick we're not sick it's this is directly from the game too right the light mm-hmm. from the guy's gun all that I saw a side by side holding Sarah. Um, and the guy just opens fire. They roll down a hill. Another, I don't know if it's the same soldier or a different soldier, probably the same soldier. He's coming up to finish the job and then uh, they're yeah, saved by soldier. Tommy, right? Sarah's hit and really great acting by Joel. I mean, by uh, Pedro. This is what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, you know Pedro Cook and what he did here. Well, the whole setup, the whole setup, I thought was dope. Like it made me like it takes me. I don't know. I'm not trying to brag or anything. It's hard for me to fucking get teary eyed now. Like, I don't know. That's nothing to brag about, bro. You got no heart. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> like it's just I I don't like I, I really know. don't. And I I may, it's obviously I'm not gonna lie. Like I have a, a connection with the game, but like to see it done in this manner and and like. And things added and expanding on and, and improved upon in a lot of ways was like, damn. Because I feel like if it was just the exact same thing, I wouldn't have gotten that reaction. I got kind of teary-eyed. Yeah. You know, and and then I think it was because they spent so much time establishing Nico Parker as Sarah. So that was that was sick. Really satisfied with that. I know it sounds like shitty, but like it made me kind of happy. Like, damn, they nailed this shit. No, oh, yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah. It's a weird feeling. It's yeah. like, this is what you come the yeah. movies for right yeah you know or this is why you you know tune into shit like this you want to be moved you want to feel shit and you want to believe in believe in what's happening and they did a great job of making you care about sarah early on prior and seeing this happen really the foundation for who joel becomes it kind of is the driving force behind everything he Him saying, I know, I know, I know. I don't know if that dialogue is direct from the game, too. Like, I just felt like, I know, I know. 
He, he, he says, Tommy, help me. Oh, man. I don't think that was in the game. All that dialogue. Uh, and uh, she doesn't make it. So that's like basically the first, you know, part of the episode. We cut to 20 years later in Boston. 20 years later, I was like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting this big of a time jump. But I told you that last week. You must have. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, I didn't. I did mention that, but I thought that. For some reason, I thought like the 1968 thing. I don't know. Oh, I know. Maybe. But I don't know. But uh, you and Tyler were like. Game, just like the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I heard. Uh, Someone on, uh, on on the Ringerverse make make this observation like uh, we're brought into this new world with this little boy, kind of the same way, paralleling the way that Sarah brings us. We're brought into the old world with Sarah, you know, like we're brought in through the perspective of Sarah in the old world, and now we're brought into this new world through the perspective of this little. Him kind of, he doesn't look good. The boy does not looks like he's been through it. He's walk- he was already infected. He looks so. No, he was. Um, yeah, he was. No, but like I thought he was like just like a, a zombie. Walk- Oh, you thought he yeah. was already turning or yeah. something? Yeah, like he was already turned for a while, yeah. He approaches the quarantine zone. This is, like, one of the coolest. I thought, like, the outside of the QZ looked better than the inside. Like, the what those guys are, like, fixing a light. One of my favorite shots is, is the, like, a wide shot of the city from the perspective of the QZ doors. I don't know if you remember, but. It shows the kid, the, it shows the kid the, like, right before he collapses. Under the freeway sign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole city looked really good. Like, all the skyscrapers and all the buildings looked really good. One of my favorite shots. It reminded me of Fallout. You've heard of that game, Fallout? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Like that. So, the next shot, we see the boy coming, getting wheeled in. They have, like, his hands tied. He's holding, like, a Fedra patch. Did you know? Like, a patch. And I was, I tried to zoom in, but I don't know if, like, the soldier gave him, like, a patch to, like, play. This sequence was pretty well done. Like, uh, I want to talk about the actor who plays like the officer. Uh, but before that, we see like a time to full infection sign. I want to break this down real quick. So if you get bit in the neck, face, or head, it's five to fifteen minutes. The torso, the arm, the shoulder, two to eight hours. Leg to foot, twelve to twenty-four hours. Which one, which one would you? You had to choose one. Quickest one. Quickest one. Yeah. You wouldn't want a, a day. Like no, I don't want to feel like shit for a day. Oh, so you do feel like shit, you think? I mean, probably. <laughs> I feel like in five minutes, your adrenaline would be so high, like you wouldn't feel it as much. But if you're chilling for 24 hours knowing you're going to get sick, it's going to make everything worse. But but having to take a bite to the neck, face, or head, though, that's got to hurt. I'd rather let, bite my toe, give me a day, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, I mean, do my whoever best. you're with is not going to give you a day. They're just going to blast you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's doesn't matter. <laughs> they say like the um the symptoms are coughing, slurred speech, muscle spasms, mood change. And I, this just made me think of what starts to happen after you t- turn 30. It didn't sound that bad, bro. Like this is like my day-to-day shit. Slurred speech. Coughing. Slurred speech we, we, we can't relate to cuz we don't drink, but anything else. Sometimes I'll slur like if I'm if I'm uh, we it's too early. Yeah, mumble. It's mumbling, it's slurry. It, Muscle wait. spasms, mood change. Oh my god, coughing, coughing out of randomly and nowhere. Drinking water too fast. That shit goes down the wrong pipe. You know how that shit goes. <laughs> then we see the Fedra officer scene, and this actress, she got down. Like, for having like a little supporting co-star role, she she had a lot to do. She reminded me of the girl from um, 
Loki and uh, Lovecraft Country. What's her name? Right. You know, we, we on the city too. She's. Yeah, I forgot. Her. Uh, the boy's wheeled in. He's bound to the wheelchair, like I mentioned earlier. And she, she right away, she like she's like very, very nurturing and caring with him. She tells him, you know, to prevent you from falling down. Like she's trying not to scare him, right? Like she's. I don't know if they do this with everybody or if every officer, if this is like protocol to be as caring as this this particular federal officer was. But um, it just makes it even more disturbing when you learn, when you realize what's actually happening. Very nurturing, nurturing, comforting. No, it definitely didn't seem like protocol. Yeah. And it was this... nice to see them humanized a little bit because in the game, they're literally just like, they're just villains, basically. Maybe yeah. this federal officer just has a bigger heart than, than the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, he describes the she describes from the prick the prick that's coming from the infection scanner as a tickle. You know, she uses a lot of like childlike language. She says, you know, we're gonna get you some new clothes, some toys. I was like, toys, okay. His favorite food, she promises his favorite food. Yeah, she really goes out of her way to like make this boy feel comfortable and wondering if it's protocol or not. But you say you say probably probably not and that's that's particular officers like unique. Yeah, I thought her performance was good when she sees, like, the scanner turn red. There's, like, this look on her face, like, knows what she has to do. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but her look on her face says it's real subtle, but she has to do a lot. She's, like, happening. Like, three things that happen. I just, just shout out to the actor. Because um, she does a lot with a lot of like non really good nonverbal acting that probably some people might not even notice, but but me being like a, you know an aspiring actor, I kind of look out for shit like that. Oh yeah, it, it was a, down. yeah, it was a dope uh, addition to the story because yeah, there's nothing like that in the game, so that was cool. I like that whole. Um, so of course there's like a new regime that's been installed. That kind of uh, whenever there's like a calamity. This is Fedra, so this is our first introduction to Fedra. They're not great, you know. Like, don't care about. Well, I guess there's no treatment, but it seems like they're not the greatest. It says you're safe. You know what happens next is give them the lethal injection. Doug, down. Yeah, what did you think of like Fed the way Fedra's introduced here? Like, um, this is how they are in the game. Yeah, they're just like there's no personality with them. That's why I mentioned I, I did like the addition of that, um, the scene with the woman and the kid because, uh, I think it's it says more about like that there is still some glimpse of like um at least moral humanity yeah. out there. Yeah. You know, especially uh, how you see. Um, the way Joel is later, and how, how much it contradicts um, her interaction with the kid, right? And um, so I thought that was cool, but yeah, like Fedra, no surprise there. I mean, like with most post-apocalyptic things, the government's always the thing that's trade the worst. So. But yeah, it's like pretty barbaric. Like they see, they show people hanging and shit. So yeah. like, Talk, yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we don't spend too much time with them. At least I don't think we will. But yeah, well, we're out of there yeah. by the end of the episode, but. Yeah. Next scene is a mass grave for the infected, and this is our reintroduction to Joel. We work in the grave, dumping bodies into the fire. We see uh, fifty-six years young. Now. Fifty-six years young. Great shape. Great, great shape. 
that's the thing about post-apocalyptic shit. Survival of the fittest, dude. You're gonna get those steps in. You're gonna be in shape. Get those steps, not really eating. <laughs> nah, you're gonna you're gonna get that those washboard abs. Missing meals every now and then. A yeah. Brad Pitt body within a couple. Months. <laughs> a lot of gray. That month, this, Fight club. This, this motherfucker looks like he's seen some seen some shit. They got a lot more gray than he did in 2003. But uh, Six. still, still, still zaddy in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, so he's working the grave dumping bodies. Uh, the, 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 there's a lady helping him. Literally working the grave, not figures. <laughs> and we see that the... You see that it's the same boy by the shoes. Like he, he, because the, in the opening scene where he's walking through the, the forest or, or the... Kind of focus on his shoes and then you see those same shoes in the body. And, you know, the bag around his head. He's bound. The lady says, I can't. She can't do it. And Joel, Joel does it like without a second thought, right? And th- and that just tells you how, how, uh, how much has changed in these twenty years. How hardened he is, right? I'm feeling he throws the body in the way he throws it in, and it's just business as usual. Um, then you see him collecting his basically his check for the day. They're paid in with what are ration cards? Is that for, is that from the game? Ration cards or is that a show invention? I think they show them, but they don't they like don't, they don't talk about them. Not really. Yeah, I think and, they're visible. And and in this episode, they they talk about ration cards a lot. They're fucking yeah. gold. Again, it's been a minute since I played the first. See that this is how people. This is basically the currency within the QZ. These ration cards. Um, you could get shoelaces for them. They're, you know, we see that their people are like you know. Um, kind of like like rummage sales, kind of like a swap home, like a swap meet, basically. Can be traded ration cards for shoelaces. As he's collecting his check, he wants more. Like not only is he like undisturbed by this type of shit, he wants more. He asks the guy, "Can I be back tomorrow? Like, what do you got for me tomorrow?" Got street sweeping and sewer maintenance, and he's like, "Whatever pays more." And the guy's like, "Yeah, that's the one with the shit." There's moments of humor sprinkled throughout, but. Yeah, Joel's down to down with the shit, literally. <laughs> He's with the shits. He's with the shits, literally. <laughs> uh, so then we get a little glimpse into life in the QZ. They do a really good job, um, despite like the, the production design not not being great. I thought like they kind of do different shots of signs and people. You get a a really good feel of what life is like within the QZ. There's like a six p.m. to six a.m. curfew. So there's no, there's no, no one's out after 6 p.m. You see graffiti. People are painting over the Firefly graffiti. Um, so which you see like, oh, there's some, some kind of rebellion that's kind of surfaced throughout all this, which is not, you know, which you always see happen. And then we see these public hangings, and it's, and I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? They resorted to this shit, and you see the officer reading off the, the crimes, and it's basically unauthorized entries and exits. So not only entries, but you can be hung for trying to leave the QZ. Yeah. That's pretty gotcha. And then now we're introduced to this crooked, corrupt, uh, Frederick guard, Lee. He looks like a, so Lee's a fiend. There's fiends out there. There's fiends in these, fiends in these streets. And Joel is the dealer. Joel is, uh, the, Eisenberg. <laughs> he's the pusher man, basically. <laughs> Skinny Pete. Hydro is what he's dealing. He's like, oh, this is good. Got that factory in the ATL. Not doing Atlanta any favors. Why does it have to be Atlanta, you know? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Why couldn't it have been, uh, I don't know, Texas or something? But it had to be Atlanta. That's where they do pills and bullets, he says. Pills and bullets. 
they do a, a really nice touch that I heard a lot of people talking about. Like uh, Joel asks for the little bag back after he gives him the pills, and it just just shows goes to show you that yeah, the shit isn't being manufactured. You can't go to Target and mm-hmm. buy bags anymore. So he's asking for the bag back. Um, he cares about the aesthetics. He's a good businessman. Yeah, he's. Like, I'm just gonna hand you this shit. <laughs> Not like uh, I don't know if you. He cares about presentation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All about the brand. Got a reputation to uphold, and so he, so he's making a deal to acquire a broken down b- broken down truck. Even Lee's like, this truck is shit. It's a shit truck, and he's like, there's no batteries, and he's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm I got the battery elsewhere. He wants a truck, so now we know. Get a little glimpse into what Joel is after. And he's after a truck. Lee's like, yeah. I mean, it's gonna be. It's gonna cost you. They make a deal, four hundred bucks, four hundred, whatever, for whatever the currency is. They agree, bucks. He warns him to stay off the street because fireflies are going around blowing shit up. Guys are jumpy and tired. It's easy to make a mistake in the dark. He warns him. So basically, Lee says, stay off the streets because we might shoot you. Might get caught. Yeah. And it's, things haven't changed much, you know. Cops are still jumpy, happy trigger fingers out in these streets. Fuck. And the last thing Lee says to him is stay safe. And it just reminded me, oh, my God, I don't know if it annoyed you, but back when the pandemic hit, that's what, like the last thing everyone would say to everybody. Like, boy, yeah. say, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. I had a coworker at the high school who would still say that, like, even after, like, people still quarantine say today. was done. Yeah, people yeah. still say it today. It's like a habit now. I don't mind it anymore, cause, but, I mean, it's kind of triggering. So yeah, we see how dark Joel, Joel's dealing drugs. Like before, he was an honest construction worker, you know, just finishing concrete, and now all of a sudden he's dealing. this dark side turn. It, personally, it tells me more about the world than it tells me about Joel. Some people were like, "Oh, what are we supposed to latch on to Joel's a piece of dealing drugs. He has no remorse or heart for." To me, it doesn't. It says like I'm trying to say. It says more about the state of the world than it does about Joel personally. I don't think it's anything. Yeah, it's establishing a foundation for a character arc. It'd be boring if he was already who he's going to be by the end of this story. And it's it's more interesting to see how far gone he is as opposed to like where he was in the middle or closer to where he is at the end. And that's not even to say he has this huge character arc. It's just, there's things that he goes through that you are gonna, uh, there are gonna be those shades of gray, and you are gonna agree with them, and there's hopefully gonna be a lot that you don't agree with them with too. So, I think that's make it makes it interesting about the whole world of the game is it's not about what's right or wrong anymore, it's about survival and protecting your own. So, but um, they make up for that with how much he cares about getting to Tommy. Like that's his driving force. So it's not all bad, you know. He still has some yeah. heart, and he still has some. played through his concern for Tommy. Uh, now we meet Tess. I didn't know this girl was in the show. She's on Mindhunter. She's like yeah. the Carrie Coon doppelganger. Yeah. But uh, Anna something? Yeah, Anna Tor, yeah. I think. Anna yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets down. Yeah, I forgot to mention her last week and I was talking about like all the actors from things that we love. That's Supposedly it's done. They said they're not going to make it anymore. RIP. But the even though she's like the one that's bound and she's the one that's under being held by these guys, she still seems like she's in control, you know? And I thought that's 
that's something that shows or shows in TV do sometimes, especially with women, where even though she's the one bound to the chair, like for example, like Black Widow and Marvel, like you, there's something about them that you know they're the ones that are really in control. You get that feeling with Tess here, even though Robert is the one you know has her under control or has her imprisoned or whatever. Yeah, but what's cool though, it's so weird that you're mentioning like this scene and then the last scene. Like, cause I was just on YouTube earlier and there was this so a woman. I, I gotta find out her name and channel because the way she broke down these two scenes was really dope. She really got into like the emotional and like the um the like the visual or like just like little verbal cues and like about dialect with the the scene with the kid and the federal officer and this scene in particular. And she was just like basically saying like how calm and collected she is. Like it it's her favor it's because like she could be overconfident like it'd be super easy to someone to write that be like overconfident like oh fuck you like you don't hurt me something like that you know like we're either overconfident or not confident at all and she kind of like finds a perfect balance like she kind of like she's leveling with him right yeah yeah she's leveling with him she's making him feel like comfortable comfortable and relatively safe and it's like oh it's not a big deal like it's a cool scene like at first when i first watched it i didn't get that when I watched that video on YouTube earlier today, I'll find out the channel name or later. But yeah, she's working yeah. him for sure. Yeah, but like in a super like clever way. Yeah. It's like you can see why like Joel has attached like his um trailer to like this type of person because sure. it's like yeah, she's handy, dude. Yeah, yeah. she's uh. You know, so I play the game. Playing the game really well. She plays this fool like a fiddle. All right. <laughs> so she paid him for a truck battery. This fucking guy. Sold the battery, spent the money, beat her up for getting mad about it, I guess. Fucking low life, Robert. Fucking low life. Um, he claims that, like, oh, my, what my guys did. Yeah, he said, like, what? They acted No accountability with, yeah. over his men. They don't wipe their ass without consulting with you first, bro. Shut up. I know you ordered this. And he's afraid of Joel. Like, this is a cool way yeah, of, yeah. Of, of showing how formidable and quote-unquote capable people describe him as capable a couple times is but this motherfucker can't let you go what if joel sees you? i can't leave no loose ends and tess is like oh um let's yeah. put all this behind him and right as robert's agreeing we hear a per, you know a huge explosion the fireflies right fireflies are just we learn are just randomly exploding random shit i guess at random throughout the qz Hear this guy on the top of the rooftop free boston now motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> like a celtics fan and a at a TD Garden game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was for sure Celtics fan. Uh, I thought that was funny. The way he shouts, free Boston now, motherfucker. Free made Duke. <laughs> some, some toxic Boston fans probably said that. Next, finally. So now we're finally introduced to Ellie. Or Veronica, excuse me. Where she's she's introduced as Veronica, which I was like, what the f-? Uh She's being held prisoner. You know, she's bound to the radiator. Classic. She's a little snarky. Some I heard someone describe her as a bit psychotic. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, she does. Seems a, a step beyond just snarky and like aggressive. She's a has like a little bit of psychotic tendency. I don't know if that's from from the game or if that's just Bella Ramsey's performance. But the way she's doing it here, I mean, it makes sense. Any teenage teenagers, especially now, they're already nuts as it is in a world relatively safe world we live in right now. I can't imagine how they'd be in this world. Maybe quite formidable. Boomers catching strays from Brandon here. Oh yeah, they're scary, dude. 
Um, terrifying out there. So some some uh you know uh, a firefly uh, unnamed firefly officer comes in and puts you through through like a sort of a baseline test like reminded me of Blade Runner twenty forty nine like count one to ten hold out your hand state your name does all of it you know she didn't count to ten all the way she gets up to eight before saying fuck you yeah is that something that happens in the game like the baseline test or nah that's new. What did you think about that? I thought that was kind of kind of fun, a cool, effective way of like showing you who Ellie is, how what she's like again, like through a showing you, not telling you, you know, through this through this baseline test. It's not here. She's not putting up with no shit. Like, I, I mean, I thought it was it it was cool. It was kind of like the safe way to introduce her. Mm-hmm. What I liked is how it connected. And they mentioned Riley in it. I like that. I was like, I like how they planted the seed right there. Yeah, of like establishing Riley as a character. Yeah, I had a question that's about huge. Riley. They... I was like, damn, that's tight. I like that. And then um, once Marlene enters, yeah. I thought the scene with her and Marlene in that same um, little room that was way better than the first. Yeah, for sure. Scene with her, that scene was tight. Before we get there, yeah, though, we were introduced to Radio Guy. I don't know if he has a name, but uh, Joel. There's a there's like a line out the door, and uh, but Joel apparently has a fast pass. He cuts through the line. And go straight to the front with the radio guy, and people he's got the pack on him. People are like, "What the fuck, man? I've been pissed." But Joel has, yeah, but uh, pays him in cigarettes. Um, I don't know what's in those cigarettes, but they get information. But the information is useless. He says nothing. Cigarette would be priceless during those times. Oh, yeah. It'd be like smoke. Like you'd have to hide. <laughs> you're smoking that. Oh yeah, and we forgot <laughs> to mention that uh, Lee paid. Um, because Lee w- Lee was a few credits short in paying Joel, and he gave him the rest. He made the made the difference a couple of cigarettes, and Joel's like, "All right, yeah, then whatever." He pays the radio guy in cigarettes. He's, so apparently, he's been sending messages to the Cody Tower, what they describe as the Cody Tower. I guess that's where Joel's been receiving messages from Tommy in the past, but he hasn't heard from Tommy in three weeks. It's been three. Weeks. Typically, it doesn't take him more than a day. So Joel is fucking uh, scared. He's concerned. Um, he's like, you know. What if you're sleeping? And the guy reassures him that if when he's sleeping, his wife or his son are listening. Uh, his son, the smart one, not the other one. God bless him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's the voice actor who played play Tommy in the game too. Oh, okay, that's what's yeah. Up. That guy was good. I didn't even recognize him. That yeah. was good. And like I said, there's humor sprinkled throughout the episode, just enough, you know, like you need it. Like I mentioned earlier, we need some of that. There's some people complain that oh, it's all it's all dark. It's all it's all. Blue. It made me laugh out loud a couple times. I was one of them. Um, he tells Tommy, "Don't worry, I'm sure he's okay." But what he's ba- like, the way he delivers that, "I'm sure he's okay," is is not good. He's basically got to let go. He's basically saying, "You'll see him again, you know, on the other side." Joel's like, "Fuck this! Show me where this tower is." Somewhere in my Wyoming, the guy warns him, "Don't go. There's raiders. There's slavers. I guess is that part of the game? Slave, slaving back." I don't remember slavers. I do remember raiders and cannibals. I don't think I ever. Or, oh yeah, in the second one, yeah, there is. Yeah, in the second one, like that shit's. Yeah. So this is the first time that someone describes Joel as capable. He's like, I know you're a capable guy, but even you aren't cut out for this shit. Joel doesn't give a fuck. He takes the map. Like his mindset, he's gonna try. To- somewhere now we're uh, back in joel's apartment he rummages through he has like a 
little stash under the under the floorboards. You know, bachelor pad is not complete without a little stash under the floorboard. So he has it. Pulls out some weapons, like got like a axe, something else, and a bunch of maps. So he pulls out his map, pull, pours himself a whiskey, begins to plan his route towards Wyoming. He's popping pillies. Say he's not in a good place, bro. <laughs> he's going through it. Uh, passes out. Passes out feed me. I was like, oh shit. I was like, but he's awakened by Tess. Right away, he notices Tess's wounds. He's like, what the fuck happened? She lies to him at first. You know, she's like, oh, I got beat up by some teenagers. Born, the way she describes the teenagers kind of ties back to what we were saying about Allie. She says, you know, they're born after the outbreak. Never learned how to argue, just start swinging. Yeah. But that was interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, the, any kids are probably wild animals, like you were mentioning, like the Zoomers. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Olivia doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, Anyway. But then right away she comes clean and says, "Yeah, it was Robert. Robert's guys beat me up, but but uh, but she right away Joel starts to get riled up, but she kind of calms him down. And says, "Don't don't act too hastily. I don't want to spook Robert. Don't worry, we're gonna get him, but not if you act out." I thought that was cool. again. She, she tells him to take a breath too, which is cool. She's like, t- t- she's like, I need you. Like we like you mentioned earlier, she really knows how to work people, even Joel, and she works him right yeah. away. She like kind yeah. of. Guides him exactly to where she wants to go. She lays out her plan, makes him believe that it's all his idea. Kind of, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Damn, <laughs> Damn I'm, like, I'm a genius. I don't know. Kind of, yeah. But she, but she does that where she makes it seem like, oh, it's your idea. You know, that shit works, especially with men. Men love to think that they have a great idea. So Joel being motivated to like find Tommy is a show invention, right? Like the game, it's more about getting supplies and stuff, but. Yeah, the the whole Robert thing is like at least the first couple hours, but it's all it's kind not about. But he wants the battery to be able to escape and get. Yeah, here it's like it's not about supplies; it's about finding Tommy. So again, we mentioned this earlier, but it's I think it's a way to inject some some humanity back into Joel. I just like the that they're they're changing it up. Yeah, that's what I want. That's right. So now we meet Marlene from the game, and we learn she's the leader of the Boston QZ. People are questioning her. They're sick of this shit. There's p- people are asking questions. People are dying on her watch. Her leadership is in question. Um, they're like, what is up with these random explosions? So these explosions are random even to the people setting them off. Kim is her lieutenant, the uh, the girl who's asking all these questions. She's like, who's this random girl we got under, uh, under, who we got imprisoned? They're talking about Veronica, Allie. So, so, uh, yeah, like her leadership is in question, and and people are just sick of uh, people are dying on her watch, basically. So she's not she she the her the confidence that uh, comp, the confidence that people have in her is waning a little bit. Is that is that is all that fleshed out in the game, or what did you think about them fleshing her out? And she's she's the leader of the Boston QZ in the game, or how much of this is like? relatable to the game how much did they kind of expand because i thought it was pretty they do a lot in a little bit they establish her as a leader but she's not doing a great job she's not sh- telling everyone everything she's keeping the alley thing close to the vest i don't know yeah i'm pretty i mean again it's been a while and i know I keep saying that but i just don't want to oh, yeah. act like i know the game verbatim but um important just I'm, curious. yeah i'm pretty sure our first exposure to her in the game is is after the the shootout so all this side stuff with just her and Allie and, and just her and her 
lieutenants or whatever. That's new. So I thought all that was pretty cool, especially establishing and expanding her role. Because that actress is, is really good. Yeah. And the fact that she's been lived with the character for so long, it, it, it makes it more interesting and it makes it like feel more natural. Especially like she feels a little more aged in this. Yeah, she said in, in the in the game she feels a little younger, a little like less experienced. Yeah, the actress and, mentioned that that she yeah. felt like she's aged in role. So, but yeah, she she, she and, and she delivers a really good like strong like kind of Tony uh, Tony Scott line. Uh, Andor, I, I keep mentioning Andor. We are in a war against a military dictatorship to restore democracy and freedom. You fight for twenty years and get nowhere. You're not a rebellion. You're just spray paint. I like that yeah. line. That was like. Um, kind of really again economical screenwriting sums up the fireflies history just enough to understand what they mean to the world in this present moment you know they're like barely hanging on they're not really making any change they're doing random explosions um people are questioning the cause and the, and everything yeah so like right away you get what you need to know about the fireflies right Marlene lays out her plan finally to Kim she says you know they're going to escape they're going to transport Veronica West Shows Kim a note. We don't know what's on this note, but she just says this is from our radio guy. And Kim's like, "What is this real? We don't know what's on this note. I wonder. I wonder what it's on the note. But um, I guess it's important because it changes Kim's whole tune. She went from like questioning the whole, the whole cause to being like, she went from like, who is this sassy little white girl to whatever it takes, <laughs> just by whatever's on this note. So it must have been pretty important. And next we see. Tess, she's like in the town square. The town square is struggling. It looks pretty, pretty rough. But she's, uh, she's gathering intel. Joel's watching her. Joel's approached by this little guy. Guy, you know, it's funny. It's interesting that even in a post-apocalyptic world, people still walking around asking if they've heard the good news. Because that's what this guy very propaganda. Yeah. yeah, bullshit. Give me strong Mormon Jehovah Witness vibes. No offense to those people, but uh. <laughs> Like, uh, but I like Joel. Another cool, funny line here. Joel says, "Ask me if I've seen the light, and I'll break your jaw." That guy must be new around there, because like, how would he not know about Joel's reputation? Yeah, even if he didn't, <laughs> look at Joel. That's not yeah. a guy <laughs> who I would approach. Who I would think needs to hear, they steer clear of that motherfucker. Yeah, for sure. and, and that kind of segues into something I wanted to correct from last week, because I did think that Joel was a Firefly too at one point in the game, but he wasn't. It was just Tommy. Okay. Tommy was the former Firefly. Well, we hear, it seems like, or at least from the show, that Tommy's very vehemently opposed to the Firefly's whole cause. Or, uh, But, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. So we, uh, now we see Marlene and Veronica interact for the first time. Um, Oh, well, hold on, let me go back. Joel, Joel gets the, Joel gets the intel and, and uh, or Tess gets a little bit intel as to where Robert is, and they plan to ambush him, basically. And then we're introduced to um, Veronica and Marlene finally introduce introduce introduce, or they meet each other. Marlene's basically like the Saw Gerrera of of this world, right? She's kind of like, gives her a backpack. Allie pulls out this knife, so this knife is like her most prized possession because that's like the first thing she pulls out of the backpack. Once Marlene throws it to her and she kind of like pulls it out, snaps it open and Marlene sits next to her, not afraid. And, and Allie's like, you know, aren't you afraid of me? And so she's trying to like establish some sort of trust, kind of like some Stockholm syndrome going on here, but I think 
still not I'm still a little bit unclear as to how Marlene what Marlene's uh relationship to Allie is, but Allie learns that she wasn't just drafted into the military school, but that she was placed there by Marlene, I guess. Mm. The funny part where she, uh, Marlene reveals this news to her. She's like, no, it wasn't random. I put you there. My fucking mom or something. <laughs> and she says, do I look like your mom? Yeah. And she's it's like, because she's white as shit and Marlene's clearly black. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like, no, you do not. She refers, or Allie calls them like a terrorist. So, if, so people aren't, it seems like the Fireflies have no, they don't have, they're not, they have no fans. Like, uh, Fedra's not a fan. Civilians aren't really fans. Like, they're just causing a whole lot of, they're just stirring shit up where shit doesn't need to be stirred up. So, um, Fireflies aren't, popularity is not doing well in the polls, basically. And uh, Marlene says, when, she, when uh, Allie calls Marlene a terrorist, she says, was Riley a terrorist? And this is the first mention we hear of Riley. I don't know who that is. I don't know if it's a friend or a brother, but you could clearly see him. It's someone near and dear to Allie's heart. She kind of has, we see the first little bit of humanity revealed through this mention of Riley and Bella Ramsey here. And yeah, Riley's a part, a part of the game, right? Yeah, she's, um, that's who Storm Reed's playing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And, uh, Marlene reveals that surprise Ellie has a glorious purpose. Like, you're more important than you think. And when she tells her purpose, I don't know, maybe think Loki? Loki. Yeah. I can't wait for the new season of Loki. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Joel and Tess pull up on Robert ready to get down, and someone's got there first. They discover, or before that, they they discover a, like a fully realized cordyceps corpse, corpse like all the way through, right? Joel says this one's done. Yeah, it looked really good. I did. Dude. Yeah, the design was awesome. Yeah. Look great. Is is that what it looks like in the game? But uh, yeah, and and see, I, this is like I don't know. Like when you mentioned earlier, I agree with with you about the set design thing. I don't know if it was like I I, I feel like it wouldn't have been as noticeable if it was, if it had been like slightly different or like more um like if the cinematography kind of went for something different. Like more, I don't know. I like. I felt like the reason why the set didn't feel as authentic is because it was so um like true to the game, and like I, the cinematography choice kind of reflected that as well. I feel like if it, they did a little something more with that, it would the set design would look a little better. Because in this instance, when in a dark setting and with the flashlights and shit, it looked way better. Yeah, you know this this the cinematography was good in this yeah. part. Visual effects looks like practical. Look like a practical yeah, design. Yeah. It reminded me of um, Annihilation. Yeah, yeah. Also gave me like Han Solo trapped, and uh, I forget what that what that. But it gave me that vibe. Uh, yeah, that yeah. Too, but it looked great. Oh, that shit's called too. Um, Joel mansplain. I thought this was a funny moment. He kind of mansplains the building's history and renovation, and she's like, "Oh, this has been construction corner with Joel Miller," and of course, useless. Another useless piece of info from. Remind me, like, you know, info, like, certain dads, like, instruction dish dads. out. Yeah, yeah like, oh. instruction dad talks. So, lot, or not just dads, there's some people who just do that. Did you know yeah. this? Did you know that? Test smells gunpowder. Everyone's murked. Robert tried to sell a busted down battery twice. He's, like, the shittiest businessman in the QZ. Like, it cost him his life. Um,. Now we Ali finally meets Joel. She kind of attacks him pretty, pretty, and he neutralizes her very emphatically. Like he kind of like just throws her down pretty violently. I thought it was a 
thought that was kind of a funny part. He kind of wrecks her. Um, Joel and Marlene know each other. You know, I like that. Kind of a reunion. We see that uh, Marlene, that Joel Robert tried to sell the battery to Marlene. He realized it was a bunk battery, so they got into it. She's hit. She's she's got a wound in her in her belly. Um, Tess Tess refers to Marlene as the Che Guevara of Boston. So Tess is not only a capitalist; she she's racist too, I guess. Uh, Allie's like relentless on getting her knife back from from Joel, but Joel just keeps aiming his gun at her. Um, Mar or he aims his gun at her, and the way that Marlene and Kim respond is another like really elegant way of dis of displaying just how valuable Allie is to the cause, you know, yeah. like yeah. the way that they respond, and it also like it shows how smart, savvy it, and smart and savvy Joel is by you no know, clocking their reaction, and he realizes oh this girl's important to them, and realizes he has some leverage here. Yeah. Um, Interesting that like Marlene not only knew that that Joel was after the battery, but as to why too, because she's like, I know you you want the battery to find Tom. Like I know Tom. Like she's all Tom. This is more important than Tommy. So I'm wondering how she knew that. But she says it's our job to know things. So she has little birdies everywhere. Yeah. I guess. Shout out Barris. Um, there's a quick one liner about about Marlene being the cause of Tommy being lost. Like it sounds like Tommy was brought into the Fireflies and Joel didn't believing in it created conflict he says something like you turn my own brother against me we get a lot we get a lot of uh history there and hopefully they dive more into that later but um it's a, it seems like joel and tommy had a falling out over this firefly shit and marlene's the one that sort of recruited him um marlene working off the dome she hatches up an audible real quick says okay well since i'm in no shape to transport Allie, uh i'm gonna leave this up to you she 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 hands over the job to joel and tess Kim insists. Kim is like insisting, "Nah, I can do this. I can do it." But uh, she don't have a fucking ear on her fucking head, as Marlene puts it. And this is a job for uh, both ear having people only, <laughs> apparently. Um, Marlene gives them a rendezvous point, the old state house, and mentions how capable Joel and Tess are again. So she's like, again, it's kind of a. This is an example of show of telling and not showing, in which I'm not a fan of. I'd like to see Joel be capable. We get a little bit of that, but not a, not a whole lot. But um, Marlene mentions again how capable, and uh, Ellie even reacts to this. She's like, "What are they capable of?" So I guess we'll see. Um, in exchange, Marlene swears that the new the Firefly team is going to give him battery ammo and all the supplies he needs. Uh, Tess and Joel discuss it real quick. They take the job and head head off. And he warns, "Don't fuck this up." So. That's why they they're on their way to do this job. Get a quick thing of Joel's apartment. Allie's snooping around. She finds his notebook. She finds the smuggling codes. This is a sequence pulled directly from the game. The whole year watch is broken. We learn that Allie's never been like outside of the QZ or being beyond the wall. Seems a little scared. Like she wants she like she asked Joel, "Are you sure you can do this?" Because like so, this is the first time we see. We are slowly. A lot of people were complaining that Allie is a little bit one note, but we do see through the mention of Riley, see a little bit of humanity. We see a little bit more here. She's scared, like she's scared. She knows that she's in danger, and she just wants to make sure that Joel is up for the job, or you know, up for the task at hand, basically. And she asks him, and he assumes he, you know, he assures her that yeah, we can do this. She tries to break the code. She tricks him into breaking it. She she asks about Wham, wake me up. 
it's interesting that she knew what that song was <laughs> but is that from the game is, she, is that like is that that sounded no. like a game thing like crack this code no no i don't remember any of that radios and especially because uh, that connects to bill and frank and i don't even think that they were mentioned this early in the game i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure they weren't well she tricks joel into revealing the code in eight because uh, the way he responds is like oh sh-. he knows 80s means trouble now it's time to go and there's the, the fedra there's a heavy fedra presence as lee warren you see them patrolling through the streets come up from the underground Allie's really excited to be outside. You know, holy shit, I'm outside, even though the weather is fucked. As long as she's bringing some fresh air. This gave me, like, Metal Gear Solid stealth gaming sequence vibes. Like, yeah. they had to sneak around the lights and all that. Yeah. We're reintroduced to Lee. He's just trying to take a piss in peace, and Tess and everyone, Tess and uh, Joel and, and Allie sneak up on him. Um, he reminds them that an unauthorized exit is a hanging offense. He basically... Has them under, has them under like a, a sort of arrest. They try to barter with him. Um, Joe offers a lifetime supply of pillies, and Lee seems like he's about to agree before Ali stabs him in the leg. Then we see, uh, you know, Lee turns the flashlight on, on back onto Joel, gets the flashback. I don't even think they cut to the the scene. Yeah, yeah they yeah, did. And I didn't think they needed to do that, but but it works and. I get it. I think most people would have gotten it. Joel, right away, he like sees red, beats his ass to, to death. In the after show, Craig Mazin, the, the showrunner, he describes Joel's impulsive and protective response like to the opposite of the cordyceps virus, where the virus objective is to consume Joel's like impulses to preserve life. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting little parallel that Mazin, that I didn't pick up on that Mazin mentioned in the after show. Allie's watching and she's like in awe, but she's also like kind of like, Seems like she's in and ad, like admiring what's happening. You know what I'm saying? What did you pick up on her response to the to, to Joel beating the shit out of Lee? I mean, not to spoil anything, but like um, throughout most of her life, she's used to people either dying or being or abandoning her in one way or another mm-hmm. for a plethora of reasons. So, um, I think she's just like relieved and excited above the fact of like someone's willing to, you know put themselves in harm's mm. way and do harm to someone for her. Ah, okay. So, so and it, and directly obviously it um it opposes Sarah's reaction earlier. Yes. Whereas, whereas it mortified her um for Allie it's like I like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's two worlds too. It's like um Sarah was a reflection of the what was before and this is what what is it now after. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great point. Um yeah. Yeah, most uh, I think a lot of people read that as her being like energized by it, but I I, I like what you said about her just yeah. being like um kind of endeared that someone cares enough to do this and protect yeah. her because no she's never seen that throughout. Her. So um, Joel beats his ass to death, uh, picks up Lee's rifle and they're gone and they're out. I thought, the, I thought the the fact that that fence was open was kind of sketch. I was like, shit, you would probably want that fence <laughs> preventing the infected from getting in yeah and then uh the show closes out on the depeche mode never let me down song 80s trouble and you made a good uh observation upon a couple uh second viewing of like that wide shot of the wide shot of the city 
you see an actual clicker or bloater. I don't know which one it is. What's it's a clicker. clicker. And, well, you could hear it. I heard yeah, it I heard when we first watched it, but then I saw on Twitter and I was like, oh, did anyone else someone put it? Like, did anyone else notice the clicker that's literally on the building and it's on the building to the left? See it pretty clear. Bought it, but yeah, it's tight. And that's the episode. The whole scene looked digitalized, though. Like, it looked great. Don't get me wrong, but you could tell, like, the, like it was all digital because it looked like fucking, like, Last of Us 2, like, PS5 graphics shit. It still looked. Dope, yeah, I like so, seeing them but, run. I thought they yeah. didn't look like real people running, but no, they still, didn't. it still looked cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it looked tight. Yeah, that's the episode. Before we get out of here, excuse me. I want to go over like some favorites. Like, do you have a favorite moment? For me, it was probably the Atler House of of Horror. Like that whole sequence was probably my favorite. All the chaos on Main Street. Um, did you have like a favorite moment or part of the episode? I like the um I like the end the ending of it cuz like the like given how much like they've tweaked and and like kind of cut the fat of the story and and also made like changes to where like I think I could and I hope it goes into like relatively a new directions than the game went with Surrey storyline especially with them now going to save Tommy I like that idea mm-hmm. a lot better than just like supplies um, some like supplies like video game level type of side mission thing so i i like the the ending and just like the hope of or like the the tease for what's to come i just i like the and just the shot of the buildings is because that is a huge part in the game and like the the whole um i guess like i don't know how to say it but like the level design yeah of that whole section is tight because like since the buildings are leaning on against each other, like you're like going down and up and it's like everything's slanted. It's like a, like a, um, fun house type of mission in that. And so I'm, I'm, I really hope they commit to that. And, and we see that in next week's episode or, or the weeks to come, how that, that whole, um, area is going to play out in the show. Shout out Benny Sunny. <laughs> no, I'm really excited for the next episode. Another my favorite character, if I had to name a very favorite character, probably Sarah or favorite performance. But Sarah really um like was the MVP of this episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree with you there. We already said a lot about her and how great she was. Favorite line was the from the top the we lose line. I thought that was uh my problem there's a lot of good lines in here and that you know, I'm a sucker yeah. for really like strong and cool cool lines. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. It's cool to see a mummy actors relevant again. Shout out the mummy is Brendan Fraser's doing his whole awards uh, season tour right now, and it's John Hanna, right? Is that his I think name? So. He was he was like his main boy in the mummies, so that was cool to see him. Rachel Weiss, we- Rachel Weiss, where you at, baby? Come back. She stay, she stays relevant. I haven't though. seen She's her. Always I haven't working. Seen her. But she hasn't been in a thing anything in a while. Um, yeah. Well, any other final thoughts, closing thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, we should talk about next week a little bit. Like, what do you want to see, or what do you think's gonna? I'm happen? excited to see what's going on in the you know in the world now. Like that shit looks scary. So pretty, you know. Hopefully, people got their TVs calibrated correctly, and you don't complain yeah. about dark because I feel like it's gonna be a really dark. Yeah, it's gonna be dark, dark ass episode. Sure. I didn't. I don't watch the um like next on preview. Did you? We watched it together. I, you, were you I not looking or what? Oh, okay. Yeah, I watched um, it, but. It was for the whole season. Oh though. yeah, those are yeah. Those are... So I don't know what's gonna be in that episode specifically. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm I'm forward to that. 
maybe meeting the Bill and Frank. I know it's they're played by Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett. I'm a big fan of Murray Bartlett. Yeah. Um, I want to see Tommy again. I know he probably won't be. We won't see him again. But just overall for the season. Yeah, yeah for the season. But um, I'm not one of those people that like has theories or makes theories. I kind of just like to go go for it, go for it along for the ride. I know. Yeah, this show doesn't really call for yeah, anything. But some everyone is like, "This is what's gonna happen," or "This person might die," or that. Like, I don't really think like that. I try to like stay present and just watch what's happening, spoiling myself. Because sometimes you spoil yourself, you know. Yeah, this isn't one of those stories that's like re- like heavily dependent on like a twist or like a shocking revelation or something like that. I mean, I guess you can count the revelation of. Um, Ellie being immune is pretty big, mm. but like that's like as big as it oh yeah, gets, we at completely least. forgot to mention that yeah. that she that yeah. the scanner does turn red, and we see that yeah. she has a she has a bite, but that is three weeks old, and Tess is freaking out. Yeah, sorry, we completely forgot to mention. Yeah, and someone nitpicked about that too, there because in the game, like Tess like points a gun at her, and she's about to blast her, and someone nitpicked on on YouTube, they were saying like. I would have liked to see like them kind of trip a little harder, like like be like, hey, what the f-? like explain yourself. But I mean, I guess in the context of the episodes, especially because so much happened this episode, like it almost felt like a movie. Yeah, they kind of had to rush it. They're like, let's get the fuck out of here. I think they did enough. You see the bite. You yeah. see that it's three weeks old. You see Allie's clearly like okay. Yeah. Um, and they had already kind of like bared their skepticism about her when they first met her. But I mean, I guess the point was like. In that world, if you see someone with a bite mark, you're like that's your initial reaction is to point a gun at them, and they didn't even. But whatever, just nitpick. But glad to have like a Sunday show again, you know. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll be back next. Anything else? No, I already mentioned about. I really hope they commit to that level design, but the le- the buildings leaning on each other. I think they will because they've showed it in the trailer like that's two, three up. times. So I hope they because that section in the game is like one of the best in the whole series. So, yeah, glad to see that. All right, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace.